Hey everybody, I'm Nick Galfis. I play Dr. Halstead in Chicago Med, and you are listening to Meet Us at Molly's. Welcome to episode 201 of Meet Us at Molly's. We're covering this week's episodes, obviously, 706, 1006, and 906. Um, we're going to start off the pod with the news, but first, I have a question for Bryna, and she might hate me for asking her this on the pod. Are you ready? I have no idea where you're going with this, so I get go for it. Will you be my bridesmaid? Of course. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, duh. I, that's not. I had no idea where you were going. I thought you were gonna ask me something embarrassing or whatever. No. I I was like, I don't know where she's going with this, but of course, Yay. of course. Thank you. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> duh. <laughs> um, I've been I've been like waiting. Like Monday, I was like, I'm gonna do it, and then I was like, I'm gonna text her. No, I gotta wait for Thursday. No, I gotta do it on the pod. Wait, I gotta wait. I gotta wait. Yay! Yeah, of course. Thank you. <laughs> I have questions, but I'll ask you after the after the word done recording. Yeah. Wedding talk will be on the Patreon bonus episode to follow. No, just kidding. Um, yeah, I mean, probably, but yeah. Thanks. Yay! Yeah. Excited. I'm so excited. Of course. <laughs> okay, so, so uh, we interrupt this program for, but yeah. Um, you guys, I won't know it. Never mind. I was going to be like, everybody knows I'm engaged, right? It's beside the point. We're not here for that. Okay. So I think most people do though, but anyway, <laughs> news, news. Okay. Um, Brian is going to be one of my bridesmaids. There you go. Um, also <laughs> we've got a little bit of news today. We don't have a ton, uh, but we've got episode descriptions. So that's nice. It's like been really nice to have consistent episode descriptions come out like every week. Like I really am enjoying this. Yeah, they've been really consistent about it. It's nice. Because we've had episodes every single week. Yeah. We haven't missed a week. And I'm I'm okay with that. Like, I'm okay with that. I, I, I enjoy this. Have You haven't even hit a point yet where like just once you're like, I kind of want to know when the mid-season is just so we can take a breather. You know, I just want to know when it is. Like, I mean, at this point, I feel like it's going to be before Thanksgiving. I mean... I feel like it's going to be episode nine, I would assume. Mm -hmm. And I'm assuming that means it would air after these that we're getting ready to go over. So I'm assuming it's before Thanksgiving, but I don't know for sure. Yeah, I wonder. We don't usually get episodes in December, right? Like ever. Every now and then, like I think the Gabby episode was technically December. Like it was like, you know, like December 2nd, 3rd, whatever. I think that was technically December. But rarely. Okay. Rarely. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. I'm enjoying it though. It's really nice. As opposed to last year where like the season premiere and the mid-season finale were a week apart. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And even just the seasons where it's been like three episodes here, take a week off. And I feel like this is for happening for other all my other shows this week. Like every other show is not airing this week for the most part. Like mm-hmm. there's no new 911s, there's no new Station 19, there's no new Great. The, the, there was no new Rookie this past weekend. It's just like, so it's been nice to have one Chicago every week consistently. Yeah, it's nice to have the constant. I'm behind on all of those other shows, so I'm glad that they're off this week. <laughs> every single one, I'm completely behind. 
Oh, goodness. So episode descriptions. Okay, let's start with Chicago Med. Season seven, episode eight. This is called Just As a Snake Sheds Its Skin. Is it me or are the med titles getting a little ridiculous? It's like, I as much as I do love that the fact that it's seven words in each title for, you know, seven seasons, it, they're getting a little long. And like, I'll be curious because obviously we know we're definitely getting through season eight of Med. Um, that's obviously already been renewed. Uh-huh. I'll be curious, like when we get to season 10, I mean, we joke that they're always going to be like Fall Out Boy lyric- song titles, you know, yeah. Fall Out Boy but it's like they are going to be at one point and you know what if this keeps going like what if we get to like med season 15 it's going to be like literally like two full complete sentences i'm telling you it's going to be like a fallout boy title where like they're going to have to shorten it down to like three words in parentheses and then the rest of the title will just be like behind it and nobody ever says it yeah i mean i i do love it like it's fun um but yeah, they're getting a little long sometimes. Okay, but this week's about the hammer and the nail. I was like, now you've gone too far. You have a character whose last name is Hammer and you're making puns about it. Now you've gone too far. See, I thought that one was funny. No, it is funny. I mean, I, it's mad, right? If they want to poke fun at themselves, please, please do. Um, and I always love yeah. a good, like to me, like I'd rather it be like an interesting, like good title. Like I hate the ones that are just like, so just, you know, Mm-hmm. straightforward and I'm like that's no fun like yeah I, I'd rather them have a little bit of fun with it than you know just be something boring yeah yeah so let's get into this and if you recall we talked to Guy Locker a week ago two weeks ago a week ago that was last week it was, was last, last week. week time who knows I don't know I know what is time what is I have, time? I'm already at the point I've zoned out I'm already mentally in this weekend it is Halloween like we're chilling we're yeah I've, I've mentally zoned out so yeah um uh, guy did say that episode eight was going to be a really big one for Dylan uh and it sounds like that's the case so Dylan's loyalty to med and the police department is challenged when an old family friend and veteran cop exhibits concerning behavior the annual random drug testing puts a doctor's career in jeopardy Ethan Ethan, Ethan yes. <laughs> tries a risky yes. old school method on a patient and will help Stevie search for her mother. I never in a million years thought I would be like absolutely thrilled to like hear Ethan's name, see Ethan's face, like thrilled. I know in the promo, cause obviously we'll talk about it probably in a little bit, but like the promo for next week shows that he comes back next week. And I was so excited. I was like, oh my God. I mean, and I love Ethan and I love Brian. So I'm excited that they're back. But like, it was like, oh my God. Yeah. 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 Oh, it was, yeah. That promo, it was just so good to see his face and the crowd separated. It was like, Ethan. Yeah. It's, yeah. oh, I love it. Love it love I it. do hope they don't just gloss over like the rehab part and just be like, okay, you're fine now. Like, if you think about it, okay, just let's think about it in canon. Never mind that Brian went off to film whatever. Okay. Think about it in canon is that he disappeared for what, six weeks to go to rehab? Dr. Choi probably had to relearn. I think it's been more than that. Yeah, probably. Well, I mean, you know, there's the whole summer too that happened, right? Pre-premiere. Yeah. And that was like, what, two months? So it's really been more like three or four months. Um, And I think in an interview, Andy and Diane said like, you know, we're going to focus on the rehab, you know, something along those lines. You're like, it's not going to be all, you know, sunshine and roses once he comes back. Um, 
So yeah, I, you know, I'm glad because obviously he got shot, you know, he's going to have to relearn a lot of things, you know, just physically how to, you know, his strength, get his strength back, you know, Mm -hmm. all that stuff. So I I hope they don't gloss over it. I don't think they will. He probably had to relearn how to walk. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Yeah. So I'm, I I can just, please come back. Just familiarity. Come back to us, please. I know. I like, and we'll talk about this too when we get to like, just I'm grasping at anything familiar right now. I'm like, give it to me. I need all the familiar. Just give it to me. So yeah. And I'm also, I'm curious to see how he interacts with Dylan and Stevie. I think it'll be fine. I don't see any issues, but um, yeah. Like I'm curious to see that and just see how, you know, Mm -hmm. I I just, I missed him. I I missed him him. too. Yeah. I think he's going to vibe really well with both Dylan and Stevie. I think he is too. Dylan is, I see him and Dylan being like a interesting yeah having an interesting relationship I think that'll be really fun to watch yeah I think so too I think so too so take us through fire okay so fire it 1008 is called what happened at whiskey point and it says Severide and Herman clash over office space Bowden looks at Pelham's past as he considers making him permanent Gallo's resentment of Pelham comes to a head and Brett and Ritter force Violet to confront her true feelings for Gallo Oh, that last sentence. I hope it goes well because Violet and Gallo, I'm really just needing all of the Violet and Gallo right now. So yeah, yeah. Um, that sounds yeah. good. So Pelham, if you guys don't know who that is, obviously he's he's the new lieutenant who's like floating around or whatever. Uh, he's played by Brett Dalton, which if you are a Marvel fan, hi. Um, he was Grant on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yes. Yeah, which like- Grant turned into like a totally weird character arc. I, I, it got really weird, but I like him. So it'll be interesting to see him come play on fire, but I just can't imagine Gallo resenting anybody. I mean, we already started to not resent, but remember the last Lieutenant, you know, the Lieutenant who filled in for Casey last time, I forget his name already. I mean, it got to the point where Gallo was just like so frustrated with him. So, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, get, I think we're supposed to meet him next week. I think so. So yeah, yeah I think should so. be interesting. Yeah, and I, I don't like the fact that Severide and Herman are going to clash over office space. Like what's there to clash over? There's now an empty office. But I feel like my thing is, I don't think it's the fact that Severide doesn't, I mean, and I don't know the storyline. I, I don't know anything, but my- right instinct is that Herman probably is like oh well I can take over Casey's quarters now and Severide just being the Severide in him is like no 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 like Casey's quarters have to stay exactly the way they are for the next three years nobody can touch it it's you know like Casey's coming back and that'll be his you know that's how I feel like that's why they're clashing Mm -hmm. is my guess I don't know though true very true um do you think this is gonna end in Gallo going to squad you know, I don't know. I I think Gallo does end up on squad eventually. Like, I don't know when, but I think eventually he does. My gut says no right now. And the only reason my gut says no right now is that means then they would have to bring in yet another person to fill in on truck. And like, because right now they're really down to, you've got Mouch, you've got Gallo, Stella whenever she comes back and... I don't think Pelham's sticking around. I think Stella is eventually going to take that permanent spot. So um, she'd fucking better. Right. So like you've got three people on, you can't run a three man truck. No. 
And so, like, if Gallo does go to squad, somebody would have to switch spots with him or they'd have to bring in more people to up for truck. And I just, I don't see that happening. So I feel like, no. Hmm. Not right now, at least. I think he does go eventually, but I don't think right now. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. Uh, PD-908 is called Fractures. As the team investigates the stabbing of a father with two young daughters, they begin to suspect there's more to the story than meets the eye. The FBI investigation into Roy Walton's death intensifies while Voight, Upton, and Halstead feel the heat. I, I, no, no, nope. Yeah, I mean, oh man, this. What if we just focus on the Berzik waters for the rest of the season? That way, like that problem just kind of goes away. What, the Roy Walton Upton? Yeah, because like if there's no time to cover it, then it just technically doesn't exist, right? PD is really good about that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess theoretically that could work. Make but... it like make it just make it the Kevin and Celeste show and then the Berzik and Michaela show. And that way the Roy Walton thing never happened. And it sucks that upset is not on our street or on our screen. However, they're not like stressing us out with the Roy Walton stuff. But if Roy Walton doesn't happen, if we pretend that never existed, does that mean Upstead never got engaged? Ah, uh, fuck. Because, yeah, if, they, uh, if Roy never existed, then Kim wouldn't have gotten shot, which w- I'm digging myself a hole here. <laughs> Dig myself Anyway. Out. Okay, for the record, before you come for us, we all know we are upset trash on this podcast. We love everybody. I'm kidding. Here's the thing, though. Don't come for me. As much as I hate this storyline, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I hate what it did to Upton. I hate what Voight did to Upton, all this stuff. It is still really good. Like, from, like, a storytelling perspective, I have really enjoyed it. This Mm -hmm. is one of the first fractured um, unit that's what I was looking for unit storylines I've enjoyed in a while mm-hmm. um so I am really enjoying this and I am really curious you know we saw the promo for next week's episode with you know the Voight Jay you know tension coming to a head and I don't know like I'm really am enjoying it from a storytelling perspective as much as I hate what it did to Upton and all that stuff so I don't know. Like I am, you know, as much as I hate it, I love it too at the same time. Am I the only person who gets like stressed out by Chicago PD? <laughs> no. Like I consider myself a little bit of an empath. So like when Haley's suffering or like anybody in the unit is suffering, I like feel it. I'm just like, oh, I want to make it better for my fictional friend who's not even real. Like, yeah, no, for sure. Um, but I, I think the most thing that I'm really interested in to see where it goes, you know, in the next two episodes is like the Halstead and Voight stuff like that mm-hmm. to me. I feel like we've just been waiting for that for four seasons now, ever since that Voight told Halstead, you know, like one day the unit's going to be yours. I feel like we've just been waiting for their tension to come to a head for a long time now. And it seems like it's hopefully going to. And I'm just like, give it to me. I want more. Give it to me. I feel like the tagline for PD should just be like Chicago PD when in doubt just punch Voight that should be yeah. a shirt <laughs> anyway that's about all the news we've got uh but you guys know the drill oh just send stuff to us if you see it we really appreciate it you guys are really good about that thank you um moving into patron shout outs we've got two new ones today our little Patreon community is not so little anymore 
I know it's like over 60 people, which is kind of insane. It's so awesome. And like part of the reason I'm like, when, when, it when is the mid season finale is because there's so many things that I want to plan with the patrons. Like I want to do a live watch. I want to do another happy hour. There's so many things. I'm like, it's just friends. I know it's so much. Yeah. I just, I love our little community. I love how, you know, supportive everyone is of each other. I love, um, that like there's all the birthday shout outs in the Facebook group. Like I just, I love everything about it. It's so fun and it's, it's it's really an awesome community. It really is. And everybody feels comfortable just like throwing their one Chicago thoughts out there. It's the, the Facebook group is the best. And no judgment. It's not, there's no no, like argue, like even if people don't agree, like, you know, it's not like arguing or anything. Like it's, it's really awesome. It's yeah. And and we're not just saying that because it's our community, but it's really awesome to see. And with regard to the birthdays, shout out to our patron, Jean, she handles that and she's a champ shout out. I know, I know it's amazing. I love it so much. It's awesome. It's a really, really fun little community we got going. So um, first patron shout out, that's going to go out to Kimberly Joe. Kimberly, welcome to the family. Thank you so much for supporting us. You're already in the Facebook group. So that's awesome. We've already kind of sucked you into the dark side. So yes. Yes. And then next up we have, I'm going to butcher this so bad. She, she said we can say it like Hannah. Okay. Hannah Larson, Hannah Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining our community. We hope you enjoy it. We're so glad you're here. All the way from Denmark. I know it's crazy. The international listeners always just blow my mind. I'm like, wow, people listen to us in like Australia. What? I know. I tried to explain that to my dad one day that like, yeah, like we had, you know, like when we do our patron happy hours, I'm like, yeah, like there's people, you know, Jess and Stephanie for like Australia, you know, whatever. And he's like, really? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, you really have people listen that far? I'm like, yeah, Yeah. it's awesome. It's so cool. Yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. And so I know we have one from Columbia who's written to us before. Uh, Mm -hmm. We've got Trinidad represented. Oh my goodness. Just Blows my England, mind. England, Canada. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. It's All awesome. It's so awesome. Yeah. Thank you guys. So um, if you would like to become a patron for as little as $2 a month, you can check out the link in our socials to our Patreon page. There's so many perks, guys. It's not just the Facebook group, but I think at this point, the Facebook group is like the best perk of all. Um, and it really is. It, I mean, we like doing the other stuff too. And those are also cool perks, but the Facebook group is the best. It's just, it's like a community of your people. It's like fellow people who love the Chicago shows and love to theorize and talk in depth and everything. It's just, it's a great community that we've built. I love it so much. Yeah. Same. same. Yeah. Um, But in addition, we've got the, we've got that. We've got a discount to the merch store. We've got bonus episodes, which we need to record a new one. Come to think of it. I know we need to get that on the schedule. Yeah. We're sorry. We've been a little busy, but yes. Um, that's going on. We've got a lot of cool stuff. So check out the link in our socials. If you have any questions, let us know. Uh, but yeah, so that's about it. So um, I think it's time to move into the episode, shall we? Let's do it. Okay. Chicago Med Time. Um, this was a good episode. Med has been consistently strong week after week. Yeah. Good. Another good, solid episode. I yeah. Agree. Yep. Yep. Okay. So we're going to start off with my favorite, William. William, he had the first scene. That's why he's first in the outline. Okay, uh, I know I do the same thing too. But yeah, he's also just your favorite. He's. I mean, I mean, I have no shame. 
Okay, so, but there's a lot of like William kind of moments in this episode. So we start off and Dr. Halstead is talking with Goodwin. Eleanor is still in the hospital. Eleanor was the patient from last week who came in with her husband. And so she's still in the hospital and they're talking to the family, whatever. Goodwin comes out with this line where she goes, well, Dr. Halstead is one of our finest. Is she okay? I know. I heard that. I was like, wait, what? Uh-huh. This glow up one- is like insane. The guy was, I was going to say the Goodwin-Will relationship has been really interesting this season. It's unlike anything we've ever seen before. And I still don't really know what to make of it. This is this is like the new version of the Jay and Boyt relationship from earlier in the series when we were like, we were legit just like, does Boyt respect Jay? And then Jesse was like, it changes. This is that now. Yeah, I just, I don't even really know. Like, part of me wonders if she really means it. And part of me wonders if she's just saying that to stroke his ego while she, so that he will do this, like, spy project for her. Uh, part of me wonders that, too. I, I hate to say it, but I don't think it's genuine. I think it's because she's do- he's doing her dirty work. Yeah, I know. Part of me is like, I, I don't know. I don't know. I know we got to get Nick back on the podcast. because I'm dying to ask him like what this newfound praise from Goodwin is doing for Will's confidence. Yeah, I would. I, yeah. And Nick would give us like a good, a really good answer. Yeah. Yeah. He, he would give the kind of answer that like 10 minutes later, we would just be like, wow, I never thought about that. Like what? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's almost funny to me because this is like, I, Will is like, Will's like the teenager who spends the whole movie just like yearning for his parents' acceptance and then he gets it at the end and like that poignant moment where like, don't you forget about me is playing in the background. Like that is what this is. <laughs> <laughs> like the coming of age teen movie at the end where Goodwin's like, Dr. Halstead, you're one of our finest doctors. Don't you forget <laughs> about me. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, yeah. So as they're walking away, Will, Will's just like, oh my God, I can't believe Dr. Cooper put another order for the vast comment because like Dr. Cooper just like summons himself. I don't even know how he does it, but uh, yeah. So Dr. Cooper just like swoops in. Cause he's just like, I don't remember what Will said, but he said like a magic word that just made Cooper like appear. It was just like, bing. And he was like, Hey, don't forget about Dr. Cooper. Um, and of course the patients were like, oh, hey, it's Cooper. And then Goodwin and Will are just like, gross. So Will and Goodwin just kind of recap. The Vascom did not make Eleanor clot last week, but it's still risky to have another one in play because Cooper pretty much immediately ordered another Vascom once Will was done with her last week. Okay. So Will gets a new patient. Obviously the guy has heart issues because Will. Uh, and pretty much like clockwork, this guy crashes just, I mean, it's not an episode of Mad unless the patient crashes once. Right. So he's pretty much like talking to, he's talking to the patient, talking to the family and everything. And I think at one point he even says, I promise William, you're never supposed to say I promise. Like, I know, especially after season one, William, I feel like that's an episode of scrubs where like somebody says, I promise. And like, they get reamed for it, which You've got to watch Scrubs. I know you don't like your comedies, but like Scrubs is good. I'll, I'll add it to the never ending list. You'll, which I, means I, you'll I, never get to it. 
I know. I know you. I know, I know. you by now. Ted Lasso, will you ever watch Ted Lasso? Yes, that one I 100% will. I just got to get Apple TV first. Okay. To borrow someone's login. That's fair. That's fair. Okay, so Will's patient isn't oxygenating medical word. That's like a basic one, but I'm like, whatever. I don't know what that means. So Cooper shows up, like the word oxygenating is like, it like summons him because Will's just like, okay, well, he isn't oxygenating. And all of a sudden you like pan to the corner and Cooper's like, ta-da, I'm here. Um, and it cracked me up here because Will was like, I called somebody who was not you. Will like could not like hide his distaste. It was funny. Yeah. It was funny. Uh, so I think Cooper's starting to catch on to Cooper's like, you called for a pulmonologist. That one was busy. So they called me the critical care doctor. And Will was just like, oh, fuck. <laughs> so Cooper explains what needs to happen next to the wife. And he, he doesn't explain it well is the gist of it. I still don't really understand what they did, but okay. So at first, okay. So the first part of this, I follow. He's like, okay, think of it like two balloons. We're going to inflate them bigger to let more air in. Okay, cool. I follow. And then he says, but then we need to sedate him more deeply and paralyze him. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Phrasing, sir. Phrasing. Like, I get that's probably what's happening, but like, maybe we word that a little bit more delicately. That's what I'm saying. I still like... On the surface, I guess I kind of understood what happened, but if I try to really think about it too much, the medical stuff, I'm like, nah, I don't understand. I feel like it's a little too blunt for the patient, like a little too blunt. Just like, then we're going to knock him out and paralyze him. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. When I heard that last night, I was like, wait, wait, hold up. That's the kind of shit I would expect out of Dr. Archer. That's the kind of shit I would expect out of a lot of people who work at med. So I guess it's on par, but. Yeah, but like still. harsh, harsh. But see, yeah. this may, like this makes me start to kind of question whether Cooper is bad. Because I feel like. I have, a lo- I have a lot of thoughts on. I guess I'm still very conflicted. And I like yeah. part of me. I'm like, no, no, Cooper did it. Like Cooper is not great. Like we don't like Cooper. And then. They do something and they're like, oh, no, no, no. Like, Cooper's not that bad. And I'm like, oh, no. Yeah, Cooper's not that bad. You're right. And then by the end of this episode, I'm like, no, Cooper did it. No, he's bad. No, we don't (laughs) like him. But like, okay, a good psychopath, according to TV, because that's all the education I have on that. A good psychopath is like super manipulative words and like covers their tracks. They're really good at covering their tracks and like making everybody think they're nice and wonderful, right? Dr. Death, mm-hmm. that's another one you need to watch. It's on uh, my list. That's on my list. Yeah, way deep down, and you'll get to it in like three years. No, okay. it's not deep down. It's not deep down. It's just, there's just so much stuff. I'm telling you, too many things. I just hear a I'm bunch of excuses. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I should like mandate a bunch of series that you have to watch before my wedding. <laughs> what are I can't come to your wedding? Never, never. I'm gonna be like, I don't care that you haven't watched it last. So come here. I'm so glad to see you. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. So yeah. Uh 
So yeah, the, the anyway, psychopaths, psychopath. Yeah. A good psychopath covers their tracks, right? They're like totally manipulative. They're narcissistic. They like have an inflated sense of self. So I feel like if, if Cooper were really bad, he would be like, I'm amazing. And then he would also be like, I know everything that I'm doing, which I mean, he kind of did at the end of the episode, but like a little off. Maybe he's not that bad. I don't know. I don't know. And here's the thing. I wonder if he's just, he is a good guy and a good doctor that got kind of swept up once and like took one kickback and then Vascom kind of preyed on him and it's just turned into something like, I don't know if it's that kind of scenario. Like, is he really a bad guy? And he or bad guy use that term loosely, you know, bad guy. Yeah. Um, is he a bad guy who, you know, went to Vascom himself and, you know, started this whole thing himself with the kickbacks? I don't know. Like, I really am conflicted. Like half the time I'm like, no, he's not that bad. Half the time I'm like, no, he's not good. And I don't know if the times where I'm saying he's good is because I just love Michael Rady. I don't know. All this means is that A, he's well-written and B, Rady's doing a fantastic job. That's what that means. And I, and here's the thing too. I wonder, okay. And this is like kind of off track, but anyway, so if, say if we get nine episodes, right, we usually get like nine episodes in the mid season. We don't know that for sure, but like typically nine, right? Mm-hmm. Ish. Ish. Nine ish. Well, I don't think it's going to be eight. I feel like we're going to get one more after eight. Those didn't seem like episode descriptions for a finale for mid seasons, but anyway, yeah. Nine. So say we just get nine, right? So that means we have three more episodes left before the mid season. Do we think that, this storyline is going to be wrapped up by mid-season even if it's 10 episodes do you think this storyline is going to be wrapped up by mid-season i could see it being wrapped up by mid-season but selfishly i hope it's not because i want rady to stay same okay we're on the same page that was kind of where i was going but yeah yeah and they did a great job in casting michael rady which they probably didn't intend to do but like our guards down we all love michael rady and now he's coming in as like a sort of bad guy we're like wait a minute Oh my God, I forgot to text you yesterday. Speaking of Brady, I saw, you know how I told you last week when I looked up when Pemberley Manor was on and it was like 6 a.m. or whatever, I saw it on TV. I like keep Hallmark on at this time, just like all the time if my TV, you know, unless I'm watching something specifically and I woke up and it was on and I was like, oh man, this is a nice sight to see. (laughs) Yeah, there's there's (laughs) another one that he's in that um, I, I recorded the other day, The Christmas Bow. That's the one, it was about the violinist. He's in it. I don't know, I gotta watch it. Um, but side note, even though, we, even though we have to save it for the, the, the podcast episode with Emily when, when we get around to it, but, um, I finally watched the Christmas house the other night and it's like the sweetest, cutest movie ever. I loved it. I don't remember names that well. What one is that one? So Treat Williams is in it, Jonathan Bennett and Rob Buckley. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They're doing a sequel for that this they year. They are, which is why I made sure to catch it when the first one was on. I loved it. It was so sweet. So sweet. Yes. And then there's one on this weekend with Janelle Parrish and Ryan Pavey that I have to DVR because like Ryan Pavey was in a really good one last year that I know neither you or Emily watched, but he's a dreamboat. So did uh, you, well, he's like a Hallmark, you know, he's like up there with like, you know, Hallmark, big Hallmark names, you know, that are in everything. Um, Did you catch the Luke McFarlane one last weekend? Probably not. I have not caught it yet. No. So I'm watching Hallmark this year on an app called Friendly TV. I tweeted about it the other yes. day. Um, Friendly is like $6 a month and it's got all the like uplifting channels. So there's like 
There's Hallmark, there's Movies and Mysteries, there's Up TV, there's Game Show Network, there's this really obscure channel called Recipe.tv, which is right up Charlie's alley because he loves the cooking shows. Uh, but it's nice. It's like easygoing stuff. So on Up TV, they show Whose Line Is It Anyway, like all the time, which like you might have been too young yeah. for Whose Line. Do you remember it? I mean, I I don't think I've really ever sat down and watched it, but I know what it is. It's been nice to just kind of like watch the real easygoing TV. So that's, that's where I've been basically watching my Hallmark this year. And it's like a really easy app to navigate and like record stuff. So I'll have to take a look for that um, and set things. We've also got to set a date with Emily now that we're already in Hallmark Christmas movie season. I know. Well, once we figure out the mid season, then we can set a date. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So um, yeah. So Back to med, circling back. Yes. We do our best episodes <laughs> when we go on tangents, you know, whatever. Okay, we really so do. It's we fine. do though. Yeah. So, so Will doesn't agree. Will's like, wait, you want to, let's not paralyze the patient. That's just like not a good idea. But when Cooper like presents his reasoning, just let's just all note how Cooper doesn't say the word Vascom once. All right. Good job. Mm-hmm. Good job. Uh, and the procedure works. So Cooper was right this one time, this one time. So yeah, just once, yeah. just once. So then Will and Goodwin are in Goodwin's office and Will is having like his crisis of confidence. Like that, that side of William that like drives Goodwin insane is like kind of peeking back through. And he just says, he's like, what if he's not the guy we think he is? Sweet, sweet Will. Bless his heart. Bless his heart. Here's the thing, though. I thought this was one of Will's bigger growth moments because Mm -hmm. in normal circumstances, Will would just kind of go all Will and like he wouldn't admit how he's thinking and, you know, what he's thinking and how he's feeling to Goodwin or anything. He would have just acted and like done something to kind of figure out whether or not Cooper is a good guy or a bad guy and, you know, or more so in potentially tried to sabotage him and like the fact that he actually like thought about it before he's done anything I'm like oh okay this is you know a different it's clearly a different will this season and I as much I'm still not Gina's level of a will Halstead stand I don't think I will ever be that level of a will Halstead stand but I enjoy this version of will a lot better than I have from previous seasons growth growth what did I say? In the, oh, I know what I said in the group chat today that actually I made myself laugh by that. Sometimes I make myself laugh by saying like really stupid shit. And today was one of those moments. So, and we have the pod squad group chat. Obviously we've got the ladies of the ladies night at Molly's and the locker room. We've got a big group chat going now. Thank God too. Cause I love it. It's so much fun. Yeah. Um, but what did I say today? I said, oh, I was like, well, we'll maybe a dumbass, but he's our favorite dumbass. And that's no, he, you said he's your favorite dumbass. Mine and Jules. Jules loves him too. Yeah, Kim does too. But, um, and I, they all do. I mean, I get it, but still. He's my favorite dumbass. He's your favorite dumbass. That I can't get true. mad at him, okay? I just can't do it. I can't. Like, I can't. Okay, I would love to know if Will ever murdered someone. Like, if this went all just like complete psycho, if Will ever murdered someone, <laughs> would you hate, like, would you be mad at him? Yes, if he murdered somebody. Now, th- there's two different questions here. Would I laugh about it? Depending on the circumstances and how it's written, hell yes. Would I be mad at him and resent the character? Probably. 
Okay. Now, granted, if he's like remorseful about it and is like, oh my God, Jay, I killed somebody. I'd be like, poor baby. Like he fucked up. That sucks. Like, but sorry, you gotta do the time. Like that's life. I really hate that you fucked up, but like, sorry, that's it. If he handles it void style and is like, you saved me. Think of it like that. I'm like, no, fuck this guy. Okay, fair. I've had half a beer on an empty stomach. Just like work with me, guys. Fair. <laughs> yeah but he's my favorite dumbass. And the promo pictures from next week, like that dressed up shot of him. I love it. I love it. I really hope he's back. I really hope if, if, and when Nick comes back on the podcast, like he doesn't listen to past episodes because he's going to listen to past episodes and be like, what is wrong with her? Like, And then he's not going to want to come back on. The risk we take. It's It's the risk we take. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah. And then at the end of the scene, Will is just like peak Will. And he just goes, I just hope that we're doing the right thing. That's all. Sweet William. Oh, butthead. So then we get to the very end. Plot twist. Eleanor died. What the fuck? Plot mm-hmm. twist. So they're walking away and Goodwin just goes, is there any chance the Vascon may have caused this? And Will's like, possibly like maybe you can never really rule these things out and Goodwin just goes then Dr. Cooper may have just killed her that's a little bit of a stretch a little bit a little dramatic a little dramatic there Sharon little bit like I get what she's getting at but also like he might have thought it was like you know the best case for the best thing for her I don't know and, and that's where, and you know, and again, this goes back to like, is Cooper really the bad guy? Is, you know, Vascom a bad tool? And, you know, Cooper's just gotten roped into it. Like, I don't know. I don't, I, again, I still don't really know how to feel about him. Yeah. But then also, if you think of the alternative, if the alternative turns out to be that he's good, then, then the question happens of like, you know, what was the point? Why did we do that? Yeah. But at this that point, Miley I feel Cyrus like they- clip. Anyway, I feel like at this point, though, they keep going so back and forth that if he is bad, that kind of seems a little obvious, too. I don't know. I I don't know. Um, What about how, how about this? How about he turns out to be good and then Rady sticks around? I think that's great. I think we should just end it there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, aside from the VASCOM of it all, like Cooper's not a bad doctor. He's not. I mean, you know, he's not a bad doctor. So, I mean, we've seen worse doctors on this show. So, <laughs> yes. Um, sorry to the Ava Becker stands out there. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, you're not wrong, but yeah, I mean, that was, yeah. Anyway, I mean, harsh, but like true. Like I said, you're not wrong. But yeah, so I wouldn't, I would not complain about that. No, but also that's because we are shameless Michael Rady stands on this podcast. Yeah. Shameless. And I, I really have the urge to like watch Christmas at Pemberley Manor once we're done recording. (laughs) Yeah. Or maybe I'll actually find some downtime and watch Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. No, we got to say, we're going to do, that's going to be our bonus episode. Okay. Okay. That's right. Okay, cool. We're going to do that as our bonus episode. That's fair. That's fair. 
Okay. Yeah. Moving on. We're going to move across the, the ED over to Stevie and Vanessa. Stevie and Vanessa. Oh, man. I know. I know. All right. Bryna, take it away. Okay. So we kick things off with Vanessa, you know, at the end of last, you know, we've seen her, you know, she's taken some pills, not stolen them, but, you know, taking some pills. She's not, you know, handling her stress well. And as we joked about last week, you know, she's gone full Jesse Spano. And of course, Maggie can tell, not that obviously Vanessa's taken pills, but Maggie can tell that she's like stressed AF and Maggie is like in full mom mode she's like oh my god do you you know are you okay do you need anything like how can i help and at first she thinks she's like overstepped and vanessa's like you know it's okay like you know it's okay but so yeah vanessa is not doing so great right the second and then we go to stevie and stevie goes to see her mom and you know her mom seems happier now that she's back in the van and you know has all her stuff and yada 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 and Stevie, you know, has brought her fruit and vegetables, you know, trying to, Stevie doesn't like that her mom's still in the van, but, you know, trying to seem to make the best of it and, you know, give her what, you know, her mom needs, all that stuff. But then she notices that her mom has an infection on her arm and her mom doesn't want to get it checked out. But Stevie's like, no, 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 like I'm bringing you to the hospital. We've got to get this checked out. So, of course, they bring her in. You know, she calls the ambulance. They bring her in. And she is not having Stevie's mom is not having it. She is screaming, you know, causing the scene, essentially, in the ED. She's being, you know, wheeled in, you know, to the room. And as everyone's, like, staring at her, it's, like, really sad to see. Like, it's really hard to watch. Yeah, it really is. I felt, I, I feel really bad for her. And you can also tell, like, when, when she looks at her, she's like, what? Like, she's been there, done that. This is the kind of thing that, like, she's almost numb to. Like, that armor is just there. And, like, she's used to it, right? And it just makes me sad for her that, like, th- this is, like, it's just so ingrained in her now that the armor goes up and she's just like, this is it. What do you want? Like, leave me alone. Yeah, it just, it's really hard to watch. Um, And so as they get her into the room and get her settled and, you know, try to get her off the gurney and stuff like Will, Dr. Charles comes over to Will and, you know, they're having a little conversation and Will makes the comment about how, you know, he's like, this is not at all what I imagined. William! Yeah. And well, Dr. Charles is like, you know, well, what do you mean? And, you know, Will goes on to say that, you know, she, you know, was this brilliant person in med school and yada 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 he says you know i just figured she was raised by some genius scientist who made her in a lab and dr charles is like well you know because he also mentioned that like she was on scholarship or whatever and dr charles is like well technically you know usually when someone's on scholarship it means you know that they can't afford to be you know in medical school or whatever so he dr charles basically like will i don't know why you're so dumb why didn't you you know your perception doesn't match what you just actually said but okay bless your heart (laughs) yeah like oh man you're mm, but you you didn't put it together anyway so they again that conversation happens with will and charles and then later on you know stevie comes out of her mom's room and stevie and will have a conversation and it basically goes like this it's basically like hey i'm gonna try to be nice and then it's like yeah you're judging me i know you but it's just he you know he tries to help but he ends up putting this foot in his mouth 
But also, I mean, her guard is up and you can tell the way by, by the way she like plays and the way she responds to people. She she knows like she's been dealing with this for a long time. Her guard is up right from the get go. So even if somebody wants to help, she's going to lash out. Well, and I think so leading into it, you know, obviously Stevie then chooses Vanessa to handle the case. Like that's who she wants to be her mom's doctor. Mm -hmm. And she, you know, even mentions that like, it's so that she can like stay on top of it. And I think, you know, a, she and Vanessa have kind of started forming, you know, a friendship, a mentorship, whatever you want to call it, Mm -hmm. both a mentorship friendship of sorts. So I think that makes sense on some level too, but it also makes sense because like you said, Stevie's walls are clearly up Mm -hmm. and at least she feels comfortable somewhat of Vanessa knowing and Vanessa being in there. Um, But I don't think she would feel that way with everybody. This isn't fair to Vanessa though. No, it's not. Yeah, this um, really isn't fair to her. No, it's no, it's it's not. Um, and it, you know, I I kind of thought maybe she would have picked Will, but again, Vanessa makes sense. Like she even says, you know, Stevie wants to have control over it without actually being the doctor on the case. Mm-hmm. So I get why she chose Vanessa. I don't think it's the right. I I don't think it's fair, like you said, but I I get why she chose Vanessa. Well, and she even admits that, like, because Vanessa's like, don't you want an attending on this? And she's like, no, this way I can keep tabs on her. Like, so every single one. Yeah. Yeah. So, so really it's Stevie making all the decisions, you know, or it's basically Vanessa making decisions only if they're okay with Stevie. When that's what, so it it basically goes to that. So then Stevie's like, well, I want Dr. Charles to talk to her. And so she goes and finds Dr. Charles and it's explaining, you know, the situation, you know, with her mom. And she ends up opening up to Dr. Charles about her childhood to give Dr. Charles context for what he's about to walk into. And we're going to play the clip. It's complicated. My mom and I, my dad left before I can even remember. We spent my childhood bouncing from apartment to apartment, sometimes leaving in the middle of the night to avoid paying the last month's rent. Pretty chaotic. Yeah. At the time, I thought it was normal. It was all I knew. And she wanted to make a home for us. She really tried. She just couldn't get out of her own way. How do you mean? She couldn't hold down a job. She'd mouth off to a boss, get fired. Right. She started drinking, started using. We wound up on the street. Oh, man. I'm pretty sure she has some undiagnosed mental illness. Right. Yeah, you'll see. I thoroughly appreciate how absolutely brutal this must be for you. And I also get how it might really simplify your ability to treat your mom if I were to declare her incompetent. If that's what it takes. But you also know that in order for me to take away a patient's decisional capabilities, it's they just have to meet a very specific set of criteria. And I just I just don't want you to get your hopes up, okay? But I'm only too happy to speak to your mom and I, I really appreciate all the detail you give me, okay? Thank you. You bet. I love but yeah. So I yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, go I was ahead. just gonna say I I love the way Dr. Charles handles these type of situations. Like I just I don't know. I love the way that he responds when people come to him. It's very like composed and calm. I don't know. Yeah. But but also like, 
sympathetic and you know he understands but he also doesn't try to make someone feel better about the situation like he understands where she's coming from to an extent Mm -hmm. because obviously that's his job to understand but like he doesn't try to be like oh my god i'm so sorry that was yeah you know that's terrible like he's just like you know thank you for telling me yeah um and also i'm impressed with stevie at this point even though she did it i think for slightly the wrong reasons i'm impressed with stevie that she told dr charles all of that yeah like most people like say if you put will in this situation like when will's for example like when will's dad came to the hospital you know that one time or two times like i will would have never opened up to dr charles about this maybe now like if you if it happened now in season seven season eight you know in the future maybe but earlier definitely wouldn't have happened so i'm just impressed with cv that she even told dr charles all of this Mm -hmm. yeah anyway so stevie's goal basically is you know she knows that her mom is not gonna do what she needs to do in order to treat and heal this infection and so Stevie wants Dr. Charles to talk to her basically to take away her decision-making ca- capacity. Like he wants to, you know, he wants, she wants Dr. Charles to rule her, you know, ineligible to speak for herself and, you know, make all her own decisions. But Dr. Charles is like, he goes and talks to her mom and basically walks out and it's like, yeah, I, I can't do that. Like, you know it may not be what you want but i she can make all of her decisions it's not gonna you know it's not happening and so they're going back and forth because you know on what how to treat it and you know all this stuff and apparently there is a pill that will treat the infection it's newer it's not you know 100 percent, you know sure but they're you know they're pretty confident about it but stevie's still worried she's like we know with a pill like i you know i don't think you know she'll take it every now like i you know i would want some way to you know try to figure out you know make sure she's taking it so enter this whole new concept which i was trying to do some research on and i just hadn't had enough time to read about it nanosensor antibiotics yeah okay i i I feel like i shouldn't be surprised that this is a thing but also like wow damn so basically the way that stevie explains it it's something kind of nanosensor i don't know i don't know what the right word is that they can put in the pills and once you swallow the pill once you take the pill you have to be wearing a patch or else this whole thing it doesn't work so as long as you have the patch on once you take the pill and the pill gets digested the pill alerts the patch and then the patch alerts the phone app that you've taken the medicine and it tracks it. I don't know how to, you know, but that's, that's ins- the basic of it. Blows my mind. So I, um, at that point, like I got a little distracted during the episode, long story, but like Charlie was cooking and I was trying to make sure he didn't burn down the house. But um, I walked away during that scene. And when I came back, I saw the tweet from the one Chicago account talking about like how somebody had made the graphic explaining it. And I was just like, holy shit, there are apps that track whether you've taken your medicine now. Like I shouldn't be surprised, but also like, damn science. Yeah. I think the thing that spooks me, I don't spooks me about this whole concept is just the fact that like they're putting something in your medicine and I get that medicine is already like human manufactured, but still like the fact that they're putting these like little nanotechnology in your pill, like that's a little weird to me. 
but I mean, I guess it's the future, but it's still a little weird to me. I feel like apps are going to take over the world one day. Like, has anybody written that movie yet when the app goes haywire and like takes over the world? Probably some version of it. Yeah. Scary, but also like awesome. Yeah. And so apparently, you know, this is obviously still in trial phases, but they're working on it at med. Oh, so conveniently or whatever. So of course it works out that, um, you know, Stevie can have these nano sensors put into her mom's medicine and whatever. And so Vanessa kind of pushes back a little bit. She's like, well, how are you going to get her to sign off on this? And then Stevie's like, well, does she have to know? And this is the moment I was like, Stevie, what are you doing? What this is also the moment doing? you're like, oh, okay. So Stevie does belong at med. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can see why she and Will were friendly in med school. I got it. I got it. I got it. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I was like, really? I was like, I get that. I get that she cares about her mom and wants her mom. You know, she just wants the best for her mom. And it, none of what she's doing is coming from an ill place. But this is not the way you go about it. It's not. But also, like, I in this situation especially, I, I feel like I can, I can, like, sympathize with her, right? Like, I, I know... All bets are off when it comes to my mom. Like if she's in this kind of situation, you bet your ass I'm doing anything and everything. But like, I don't care if I'm bending rules. I don't care if I'm doing sketchy shit. Like all rules, all bets are off, right? So I get it, but also like Stevie, like, it's frustrating. Yeah, I think though, I think though there's a difference between bending the rules and bending the rules when your mom doesn't want it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I think there's a difference if her mom said, yeah, sure. Like, I'm okay with this, which side note, we'll get to in one second, but she doesn't. Stevie's mom is not happy about this and mm-hmm. doesn't want anything to do with these nanosensor antibiotics and Stevie tracking all of her medicine. But like, I think there's a difference if Stevie's mom had said like, hey, yeah, I'm cool for it. But like, legally stevie couldn't do it or whatever so stevie has to break the rules it's still wrong but like i think that's the difference between her mom is like dr charles said clearly capable of making decisions for herself they may not be what stevie wants but i feel like yes i i think you know too like if my parents you know i would move heaven hell for my parents Mm -hmm. um but like, I, you know, at the same time too, I respect my parents enough to also respect their wishes, even if it's not yeah. what I want. Yeah. And that's where I still have a problem with what Stevie did. Yeah. Big time. So anyway, but like I said, Stevie's mom is not having it. She even like starts to throw a tantrum, pushes Vanessa into the wall. Like not Isn't that two weeks not- in a row now that Vanessa's been pushed into something. Yeah. Poor girl. Girl. Yeah, can't catch a break. So we go back to Dr. Charles, and of course, he suggests a break. And, you know, and Vanessa goes back in to check on um, Stevie's mom. And Stevie's mom, like, starts to say something. And she's like, you know, when you see Stevie, and then she's like, never mind, you know, like, don't tell her anything. And, you know, I think Stevie and her mom's relationship, like, it's such an interesting relationship. And I think obviously they both still love each other, but there's just a lack of communication or a lack of something there that is, you know, 
preventing them from having a really loving relationship. Um, you know, it's really, it's yeah. me. And, and the scene with Dr. Charles at the very beginning kind of spells it out, right? Dr. Charles is like, well, for a long time, it's like you had to parent your mom, right? So I, th- their whole relationship is flipped upside down by the fact that, you know, her mom is probably undiagnosed bipolar and Stevie's had to parent her her entire life. So yeah, yeah, it, it, it's, it's really sad. It's sad because, you know, Stevie yeah. just needs somebody to take care of her and look out for her. And she never had that. Yeah. So Vanessa learns something from all of this, you know, because obviously before she had been pushing Maggie away when Maggie, you know, obviously they still have a very complicated relationship, but Maggie ultimately just cared and wanted to help. And so, you know, Vanessa tells her they have a conversation and Vanessa says, you know, maybe you looking out for me isn't such a bad thing. And that's all she says. She doesn't really say anything else, but it's like, oh, she just asked for help without actually asking for help. Like, you know, it's a nice step in the right direction. She's letting Maggie in my heart. Yeah. I was thinking about this. Nobody besides Goodwin still knows, right? Right. Do they, they don't even know that Maggie has a daughter, right? It's just Goodwin. Yeah, it's just Goodwin because I think last week when Vanessa, or maybe it was two weeks ago, um, when they had the whole episode with like Vanessa grabbing Crockettan, somebody was like, I think it was Crockett who was just like totally confused as to why Maggie was like being super protective over Vanessa. And it dawned on me. I was like, oh, he doesn't know. That's right. Yeah. Sharon's the only one who knows. Yeah. So then we get this last part, which... As soon as it happened, I was like, really? Like, right really? when you think everything's going smoothly and you're like, cool, like, Dr. Charles really got through to her. Nope. So, Stevie goes and finds Dylan in the attendings lounge and is like, hey, you're a former cop. Do you know anyone who can tow a car? And Dylan's like, yeah, sure, here's their number. Stevie has her mom's van towed. Because it was illegally parked. And by having her mom's van towed, that means Stevie's mom has to come stay with her, which means Stevie can then keep an eye on her. Stevie! I was like, really? I was like, no, Stevie. No, honey. No, 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 no. This is not what we do. No. But on the other is. Yeah, and this is in no means justifying what she did, but, like, she's probably grasping at straws, right? Like, she's worried that if she actually does give her mom the distance and, like, just backs off, that, like, her mom's going to die. So she's just, like, grasping at straws, but also Stevie, honey, no, no. But I feel like, and maybe this is just, I don't know, this may be a far reach, but I feel like if Stevie just talk to her mom and maybe try to understand a little bit more about like why her mom is thinking the way she's thinking and maybe actually try to talk to her rather than talk at her Mm -hmm. they could come to some sort of compromise that worked for both of them you know that where stevie felt okay that her mom was still being taken care of but stevie's mom didn't feel like she was being babied by Mm -hmm. stevie yeah but like stevie's just like no you're gonna do this you're gonna do that you're gonna do this you're gonna do that and i don't i mean on the other hand too like i don't blame stevie's mom for being like no like it's my life like i get to you know it's my choices i can do what i want Mm -hmm. and if i want to stay in the van then i'm gonna stay in the van yeah 
So, but yeah, I know Stevie, Stevie, Stevie. Mm -hmm. So we did get some listener thoughts. Um, Kimberly J said, Oh, Stevie, she's desperate to help her mom, but it leads to her, leads her to manipulate the situation par for the med course. I suppose good intentions, bad execution, (laughs) right up Will's alley. So they're probably perfect for each other, but I did want to give her a hug the entire episode. I mean, yeah. yeah, pretty much, pretty much, pretty much indeed. So, uh, next up in the hospital, we've got Crockett and Dr. Blake. Okay. All right. So there was news this week that Sarah Rafferty is going to recur on Chicago. Chicago oh Med. yeah. I forgot to put that in that one, I guess. Cause she's already been on the screen for a while. I'm like, oh yeah, that was this. Yeah. Duh. yeah but like i feel really bad for people if they didn't watch suits right because all the people who watch suits we're stoked we're like sarah rafferty it's donna holy shit she's on med we're so excited and the people who didn't watch suits are just kind of like okay cool whatever that's how like, i am i'm like i mean like i know who she is i know why people love her like i get it but i didn't watch suits so to me i'm just like oh okay cool like you know and I don't really necessarily care for Dr. Blake. So I'm like, okay. No, I'm super excited. And and Dr. Blake is like the complete opposite of Donna. So it's cool to see her flex her muscles. Also, Sarah Rafferty went to Yale, like Yale School of Acting, Yale Drama School, whatever. It's, yeah. So like, she's, she's really like well studied. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's just cool to see her on Chicago Men now. I'm just like, oh, she's playing with us in the one Chicago universe. Yay. Okay, so- we start off and Crockett has taken an interest in transplant surgery. That's new. I mean, we kind of started to see hints of it last week, right? You know, with the fact that he, you know, did all this stuff. And then at the end, Dr. Blake invites him to scrub in or whatever. So like, it doesn't really surprise me, but. No, I mean, it It does, but it doesn't. Cause like all that happened last week was he was asked to scrub in. Now all of a sudden he's taken an interest. Okay. I mean, well, he chose to go scrub in. I feel like if he wasn't interested, he wouldn't have gone to scrub in. True, true. So they, the Crocker and Crockett and Archer, Crockett and Archer, words, Carter, Crocker, I know. Um, this is like when I mixed April and Ethan together, April or whatever I call them. Um, <laughs> so yeah, they're. Crockett's like already in the hospital. He's there nice and early because obviously he's been on the transplant floor doing whatever. And they get a patient who was basically found just like bobbing around like Michigan. He's like a long distance swimmer. And I think he just like collapsed in the water or something. And so Crockett is like, or, okay. So Dr. Blake has her eye on the organs is what's going on basically their transplant patient needs a new liver but she's looking at this guy because she's just like oh like he was found unresponsive i wonder if we can like poach his organs so archer's guard is already like way up because you know he's archer he's archer so at one point he looks at crockett and he just goes well there's a reason why they call it the emergency department um kiss my ass archer kiss my ass that's what i have to say to that just yeah i mean I get it. Like, you know, I, I, on the one hand, I guess I get it. Crockett was late to his shift. So like, you know, whatever, but like, it's not like Crockett was out party, you know, Crockett was in the ICU. He was helping people, saving lives like Archer. Really? His name is not TC. It is Crockett. 
<laughs> respect him. <laughs> He's not out partying. <sighs> True. Little night shift reference for you. Yeah. So they get their patient. He was found unresponsive in Lake Michigan. He's a John Doe. So they have to ID him, all that good stuff. Well, later on down the line, Dr. Blake's daughter shows back up. Avery is her name. And Crockett does this thing. I, I didn't realize it until like this moment. Okay. So Crockett does this thing with his voice. You know how, you know how Jay has a calm voice? Crockett has mm-hmm. like a charm voice. He's a charm he voice. He does. Yeah. It's so good. Where like it gets real low and real Southern and he just like talks and you're just like, oh, like, oh wow. <laughs> So like, I don't even remember what he said, but he got like super low and Southern and he's like, good to see you. And I was just like, oh, (laughs) well, the thing that did it for me is that like, as Avery leaves, like when they, you know, and they finally cross paths and like, he's going the other way and she's going out and like, he like winks at her. And I was like, oh my God. I was like, I swoon. I die. I, I love them. I just... I, die. I, like, I, I die. feel myself blushing as we talk about it I'm like oh I know I literally just got chills I'm like I'm like what does this man do to me the charm like oh stop it oh I'm engaged stop. I know it's <laughs> but yeah it's just like the wink is what did me in I was like I mean I've already obviously been this done for Crockett for a long time but every time I'm just like oh I got the giggles now that we've been talking (laughs) about it but I will say back okay slightly getting off topic but I mean it's attached so I really do hope that we see that like Avery is the love interest oh I hope I really need Avery to be this love interest I need it I, I I need it it did. It concerned me a little bit when that article popped up this week. And it said that, you know, Sarah Raffney was recurring, said nothing about Johanna Brady. I was like, no, but like Avery. Oh, I know. But like, I, I'm still holding out hope. She popped up this week. I, I'm, I'm still holding out hope. Fingers crossed, man. Fingers crossed. That is the only Crockett ship I will accept right now. So yeah, just I know. Oof. <laughs> you know, I really need you to make a gif of that wink. I just... I, I got you. Got you. Woo. Okay. okay. So yeah. Uh he he did the charm voice. We fell apart and then we pulled ourselves back together. But also, <laughs> Dr. Blake is like super captivated by the John Doe. She's just like, dead guy. Huh. Which, like, Dr. Blake, chill woman. Jeez. So I don't know about you. I am getting like really bad Connor vibes. Like not the good Connor vibes, like the bad Connor vibes from these two. What, like the God complex? You know how Connor would get like tunnel vision when it came to a patient and he would just like, he didn't care who he pissed off or who he stepped on. Oh yeah. I can, I can see that. Like I'm, I'm getting the bad Connor vibes, not the good ones, the bad ones. I can see that. Just not. No, not liking it. I'm not liking it. So uh, later on, the John Doe crashes and Crockett gets him back, but Dr. Blake is pretty much already like eyeing him up. She's just like, so tell me about his liver. And Crockett's like, stop, you sicko. Uh, And he basically gives her this whole speech about how like, hey, his organs are off limits, which like how appropriate for Halloween, my goodness. Uh, And then in like a freak moment of Chicago med history, Dr. Archer makes sense. 
Pamela, I believe this is your patient. He isn't, Dean. I'm just passing by. Oh, well, in that case, I'd prefer you keep passing, as Dr. Marcel is very busy keeping this man alive. I'll be in touch, Crockett. Boy, I had no idea you and the renowned Dr. Blake were so chummy. I've been assisting her on some cases. Oh, right. Is that why you were late this morning? I'm considering applying for a fellowship in transplant surgery. Well, that's good for you. But when you're down here, you represent the ED. And these patients deserve just as much care and concern as any patient upstairs. I know. The fact that I also agreed with Archer, I was like, wait, what? I feel like, what? who am I? Who am I? Yeah. Like, this is not okay, but do I mean, I feel it's okay? what I want. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I enjoyed him telling her to buzz off. That was, that was satisfying satisfying it was which like it felt weird it felt really weird mm -hmm. i don't know what does that say about us are we bad people that we agreed with archer i think it's okay this one time okay just this once just this once so then later on crockett found the guy's husband and the way he cousin, found the guy's husband not husband no did cousin, i say husband not cousin husband. cousin i meant yeah. to say cousin words uh so the way he finds this guy's cousin is like crazy. Okay. So this guy had a hip replacement like a bajillion years ago and Crockett did some like crazy detective work to find some sort of serial number, which led to like some manufacturer, which led to like somebody else and then led to the cousin. Damn Crockett. He can join intelligence too, if he wants. Everybody in intelligence, just, yeah. Anybody who does detective work, the intelligence off to intelligence, you go just We've got Severide, Kylie, Marcel. Yeah. That's cool. I think if like, if this Roy Walton thing comes to a head and like our wishes come true that Voight gets like stripped of his title, maybe we should just like make a revolving door and like vet other characters from the other shows and see how they would do. Mm, okay. <laughs> maybe one week have like Severide in charge and then the next week have Kylie in charge and then have Crockett. Oh, in charge? Not even just joining the union? It charge? Why not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I could see... Jay already clashed with Void. I can really see him clashing with Severide. That would not go well. I don't know, though. Like, Jay and Sev, like, I don't know. Do you think Jay would work under Severide? Hell no. I mean, they'd have the same goals in mind. I think, no, but their styles are pretty similar. Yeah, that's why they're going to butt heads. Maybe. I don't see that working at all. I mean, I don't see Severide Kylie or Crockett like killing people with no regard and just being like they deserved it, but I, don't know. I just see like not that Jay wouldn't respect Severide, but I just see Severide like, you know, for example, like you have the board and Severide's up there like talking about the case or whatever. And Jay's like tells Haley, he's like, Really? We gotta listen to this guy. Like, I gotta take orders now from him. Like said, really? Yeah, I just, I don't know. That's fair. Yeah. So, yeah, the detective work, I was like, Crockett, damn, good job. Um, but Archer takes it the wrong way because, of course, he does. So, Archer's just like, Congratulations, you found a relative so that you can convince him into signing over the organs. So, like, we're not even going to bother to make Archer even like reasonably tolerable. Okay. All right. Like, no benefit of the doubt, nothing. We're just going to make sure that, like, we hate him every turn of the way. Cool. Let's check one. Mm -hmm. 
That one moment was just fleeting. Just fleeting. But also, like, tell me more about Archer. Why is he so insufferable? Why is he such a pain in the ass? Explain it. I know. We still don't have enough Archer backstory, so we're still hating on him. Not that I think they can really make him likable at this point, but I am just curious to know why he ticks the way he ticks. Yeah. And, like, does he have any family? I'm, like, I, have, I have questions. I don't know. We don't know. It might be time to try and get Steven on the podcast. I know. We really need to. <laughs> Welcome to the pod. First question, why is Archer such a dick? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, Pretty much. Yeah. So we get a really good final scene, though, between Crockett and Dr. Blake. And I actually really like this. You know, I have to say, I'm not exactly comfortable with what I did today. Your patient had no chance of recovery. And now, thanks to his cousin, both you and the hospital are relieved of any ethical concerns regarding his end-of-life decision-making. More importantly, someone in Milwaukee gets a chance to extend their life. What's the problem? Just not sure whose interests I had at heart today. Crockett, it's a sad fact, but in this business, only 7% of transplants come from living donors. For someone to live, someone else has to die. If you can't handle that, then maybe you weren't cut out for transplant surgery after all. So she's not like completely cold-hearted. Maybe she's just jaded by the job. Yeah, I just don't know. You know, I'm... I'm curious to see where, you know, we've only known her for two episodes. So I think, you know, we got to give her a little more time. Um, I don't, you know, she, I don't think she's ever going to be my favorite doctor. Like I just, I don't buy with her right now. I don't think she'll ever be my favorite doctor, but maybe she'll become a little more tolerable. So who knows? Who knows? I wouldn't mind seeing her stick around, but that's also because Sarah Aberdeen. I mean, she's recurring, so she'd definitely, I think, be around for a little bit longer, but, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So. I don't know. Um, listener thoughts on this one. We got one from Megan R. Megan is always first in our inbox. Like, I love it. Like, like 10.01, I can always count on it. Like, Megan's going to pop up in the inbox. I love it. So yeah. Megan said, looking forward to see where they go with the Crockett and transplant surgery storyline. I wonder if the reason for why he chose that specialty has something to do with the outcome of how his daughter died a long time ago. Just a gut feeling. Megan, I didn't even think about that. I didn't either, but that's really interesting. Oh, that's really good. That's a, yeah. Oh, wow. That's a really good one. Yeah, I, Yeah. I don't know if I don't know if the show will go that deep. I would love if they do. I don't know if they will, but I I could be here for that. Yeah, big time, big time. So, um, next up is our our new favorite doctor at the ED is it's Dylan. Just Dylan can do no wrong. Dylan Scott Stan podcast week number six. Dylan Scott for president, but actually though, yeah, he's kind of the best. Yeah. I think I tweeted last night. I was like, yeah, this is our weekly Dylan Scott for president tweet. Like, you know, it's just it, every week Dylan Scott for president. He's just the best. He really is. Yeah. Cause even when he's wrong, he we will get there. We'll get there. So 
Dylan is working with Maggie this week because the ED is apparently short staffed. So Maggie's going to help him. And I'm like, this pairing is already amazing. I don't care what happens, but like this pairing is amazing. Yes. So they walk into the room and it's a little girl who's hurt her wrist and, you know, the parents are there, whatever. And all of a sudden, the parent, you know, the dad is like, do I know you to Dylan? And Dylan's like, I don't think so. But like, there's a weird vibes going on. Like they clearly know each other clearly know each other and so you know dylan's checking her out whatever says you know they're gonna send her up for x-rays you know scans all that stuff yada 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 dylan and maggie walk out of the room and maggie's like what was that and dylan tells her that he arrested the dad 10 years ago on um an assault and battery charge and it's like oh shit okay even before we knew that when just when they were like in the room together, like this might be the first time in med history that like my child abuse alarm went off, but not in the comedic, like, Oh, Natalie, like that kind of setting. This was like a legit, Oh, this might actually be child abuse. I was like, I don't know this feeling. What is this feeling I'm having? It's like a legit might be child abuse case. My God. Well, especially after it's confirmed by the fact that like when Dylan says, you know, that he arrested the dad for assault and battery, I was like, Oh crap, this is where we're going. I was like, damn no, I, I wasn't even, I didn't even feel that way that it was like, oh crap. I was like, yeah, Dylan, like stand up for this kid. Yes. So if they go back, scans come back. She's clearly broken a wrist, you know, Ulna, all that stuff. And they're going over, you know, her case and, you know, her file and all that stuff. And apparently she's, you know, this is not the first time she's broken her arm. She broke or she you know cut open the back of her head last year when she fell and tripped over the counter and had to get staples in it and so they're going over all this and it's all just kind of confirming dylan's theories that obviously you know this isn't you know this it may not be the exact same injury but this little girl is clearly getting hurt more frequently than she should and so dylan's alarm goes off and he walks out and he tells maggie he wants to call you know child protective services but Maggie doesn't. Maggie's like, are you sure you're not jumping to conclusions and that, you know, your bias isn't, you know, hindering your ability to, you know, work this case properly? And Dylan's like, no, no, no. Like, I swear, it, you know, this is child abuse. Like, and he's like, if you're not going to call them, I will. How did you feel at this point? That I thought Dylan was right. I, I did too. I did too. Yes, I did too. When she called him on, I was like, sorry, Mags. Team Dylan on this one. Sorry. I mean- I didn't really think about it until just now that like this was probably like halfway through the episode. So like we probably should have guessed that it wasn't going to be correct. But at the same time, I believe Dylan. I mean, it's just it has to do a lot with Dylan, right? Like I truly believe that Dylan went with his gut and that his gut was telling him right. I I guess we were wrong. But like this isn't like a Natalie situation where we just roll our eyes and we're like, really, Natalie, you're calling CPS? Like, really? Mm -hmm. Like you said, but. I just, I believe Dylan so much that I was like, oh yeah, like it's definitely child abuse. It's definitely what Dylan says. I don't care. Dylan's always right. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't sure if it was the stand in me either. I was like, is it because I love Dylan? But also like, I feel like I'm on his side here. Why? Yeah. Yeah. So DCFS comes in and, you know, they're doing their investigation and Maggie's talking to the wife outside and she pleads, you know, with her, her and you know, she's telling him that, you know, 
one after that incident 10 years ago like the guy got clean and now that they have their daughter you know he would never do anything to hurt her you know he's you know she really is sounding convincing and so maggie believes her and maggie goes to dylan and asks him to reconsider and so basically how this whole thing ends up wrapping up is that as we said earlier dylan was wrong it's not child abuse what it turns out to be is Tay-Sachs disease. And the only reason Dylan catches this is some minor, minor, minor thing on the two scans, the one she had last year when she hit her head, and then this year. And it's, like, so minor that they barely caught it, obviously. They skipped over it the first time. But, yeah, it turns out to be Tay-Sachs. Um, Dylan could also join the intelligence rotation. Obviously, he used to be a cop. Obviously, I was going to say, obviously, that one doesn't even, you know, obviously. I don't think anybody um, would mind working under Dylan and intelligence, frankly. Well, yeah, they're all friends with him. Yeah. They don't need, yeah, they're all friends with him. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. And so, like I said, it ends up being Tay-Sachs and, you know, Tay-Sachs, there isn't a cure, but they can, you know, work with it. And they caught it, you know, it's a late enough onset that, you know, she'll, she's going to be okay. Was the managing, like, the girl will be okay. And so at, it, things kind of end and Dylan has this little tiny little heart to heart with Maggie and we're just gonna play the clip. You did good today, Dylan. It was a nice catch. Yeah, it wouldn't happen if it wasn't for you. Sometimes you gotta check yourself. Thanks for reminding me. I love this little moment. I love the way that Maggie makes everybody better. Yeah, I love that Dylan, and I love that Dylan acknowledged that too. Mm-hmm. The fact that he's like, you know, thank you for checking me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes you need that, but like, thank you for checking me. Uh, but yeah, I love that. So good. Maggie makes yeah. everybody bring their A game, and I feel like that is such an underrated quality of hers. I love it. Well, I hope, obviously, we're gonna hopefully see that more. You know, we there was that interview with Andy and Diane that said, you know, like Maggie is going to get more involved in the medicine. So hopefully this isn't just like a one-off thing and we're going to see Maggie forcing, I don't know what the right word is, forcing people to bring their A game, like you said. So mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, we did have some listener thoughts. Megan R said, did Dylan pull a Natalie Manning this week or was it just me? Glad Maggie got him in check. I still love him though. I would say Stevie pulled more of a Natalie Manning than Dylan did, personally. What do you mean, like, in, in terms of doing shady shit? Yeah, like, to me, Dylan suspecting child abuse, I mean, I guess Natalie did a lot of that. But Natalie did a lot of it without even really having a real re- Like, the only reason Dylan suspected child abuse to me is because he obviously had that history with the dad of, you know, battery and assault. Mm-hmm. I think if Dylan didn't know him or didn't, I don't think he would have gone there. But Natalie probably still would have. Like, Dylan had a more logical reason to go with child abuse to me than Natalie ever would have. But the reason yeah. I say Stevie pulled more of a Natalie Manning is, I guess, just the fact that without thinking, and she thinks she's right and that her way is the only way. Mm-hmm. And that very much felt like a Natalie Manning thing to me, personally, more than this. I guess I could see it. I, I, I understand. I understand why Stevie did what she did more so than I did when Natalie would pull her bullshit. 
No, I agree, but I still think Stevie thinks that her way is the only way. Clearly, that's the reason she's trying to force her mom to come live with her in the apartment, you know, all that stuff. I still think Stevie feels like her way is the only way her mom's going to stay safe mm-hmm. and, you know, isn't willing to take anyone else's suggestions, really, at this point. Yeah, and I, like... Dr. Charles's advice to take a break, obviously it's his professional opinion and everything, but I, Stevie just can't do that. She just can't. Yeah. And I think that would hurt Stevie more than it would help. Well, it would hurt Stevie more than it would help her, even though it would help her mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I feel for her. I don't know. Yeah. 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 Uh, Kimberly J said, is there anything wrong with Dylan? Because he continues to be the shining star and Maggie always the voice of reason, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, The way he took in what she says about him having preconceived notions about the dad without being defensive just highlights who he is. People at med could learn a thing or two for him, from him. I feel like I just kind of want to be like in life in general, just followed around by all of the med doctors so they can like impart their wisdom. Like, Maggie could just chase me around and like force me to be better. Dr. Charles could like explain things when like anxiety is killing me. And I'm just like, explain this. Why do I feel this way? And then Dylan can just like be Dylan. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Med's been strong. It's been really strong. Yeah, this was a good, again, a good solid episode. I mean, dare I say seven's one of the best seasons they've had yet. I think seven's the best season they've had yet. Seven's been good. It's been really, And it's only really been strong. six episodes. I, I, seven's my, let's put it this way. Seven's my favorite one so far. Yeah. Yeah. Hands down my favorite. Yep. Any other thoughts on med? Nope. Again, solid episode. Cool. Let's just take 10 seconds to think of Crockett's charm voice again. <laughs> oh, the wink. That's really what does it for me is the wink. Oh my goodness. Just, we need a super cut of like one Chicago men winking. Cause we've already got Adam doing it. Mm-hmm. Mm. We are not worthy of the one Chicago men. We really aren't though. Really? We're hashtag blessed. Hashtag blessed. Okay. Moving into fire. Moving into fire. I, okay. First episode without Casey, not bad, but the vibe is off yeah it's it's weird it's gonna i didn't think like you said i didn't think this was a bad episode i just it's weird and it's gonna take a lot of getting used to i think more so than any other cast member exit this is by far been the weirdest one and the one that i think is definitely going to take me the longest to get used to I, I wonder. I wonder if you're feeling the same way as me that but since because the vibe is so off on Chicago Fire, it's kind of making the vibe off on One Chicago as a whole. Yeah, kind of. The energy is just—it's off. Like last night was just a weird night, and yeah. that's again not saying that it was bad. It just—it felt weird. Yeah, and I didn't think. I mean, I guess I thought I always, it always, whenever he, some one of those two would ever leave, you know, Taylor or Jesse would leave, like it would be weird, but it's still, it's weirder than I had ever thought it would be. I don't know. It's just, it's hard to explain, but yeah, it's, it's weird. I, I know for me, I'm still having a hard time with how unexpected it was. Are you feeling the yeah. same way? Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I think I'm still taking comfort and the thing that I'm trying, and I guess the reason I'm not trying to totally dwell on it is that I guess I'm really taking comfort in the fact that it seems that like eventually, whether that's at the end of this season or next season, or even two years from now, like it really does seem like that Jesse's going to come back at some point. And, you know, I'm the, I, unconfirmed obviously but i i think that's what i'm taking comfort in is that like eventually he's gonna come back and whether that's for you know a more at least more recurring appearances or a full-time you know appearance again i don't know but i think that's why it's a little bit easy what i'm taking solace in right now is just the fact that it seems like oh he's gonna be back eventually like it's not gonna be it's not the same kind of exit as any other cast member that's left see and that's funny that you say that because i find zero solace in that when they're like oh he'll probably come back zero zilch like really it doesn't feel any it doesn't feel different to you at all compared to like when Monica left or it's kind of hard because they've killed off, you know, like Yuri and, you know, other people. So they obviously can't come back. It's but, pretty much the same thing as when Monica left, right? Because they were like, we're leaving the door open for Monica to come back. We've only seen her once, sister exit. We'll no, be lucky. See, but here's the thing. Yeah. Here's the thing. And this is why I think it's different. That was Derek saying, we've left the door whenever Monica wants to come back. She can come back, you know, whatever. But Monica very much in that letter, remember she posted that letter on Instagram that she like hand wrote or whatever on Twitter. And, you know, she, you know, she was saying like, this is kind of the end of the chapter for me, you know, yada, yada, yada. Like I enjoyed my six years, but like, you know, I feel like I'm satisfied or whatever. Mm -hmm. That's not the vibe that just, you know, Jesse is pretty much said that like, you know, he needs a break. But, like, I don't think he seems done with Casey yet. And, like, yes, Derek has also said that, like, you know, whenever Jesse wants to come back, whatever. But I've all, you know, Jesse has also said certain things like that. And it just, it feels way different to me. Like, it does not feel like a, this is the end of the road. You know, I enjoyed my time with Casey, but, like, sayonara, see you later. Yeah, and maybe it's just, for me, maybe it's just, I don't want to get my hopes up. I mean, we'll I, we'll get to it in a second, but we already got one little piece of, you know, we'll get there, but. I, this was a good episode, but it was also a kind of eh episode. Like, I felt both ways about it. I was like, that was good, but also meh. I think, you know, I think it's, like I said, I think it's just going to take some getting used to. I This was definitely not my favorite episode of the season, at, you know, but I like parts of it. And I, you know, I, I'm still, you know, I'm not losing my hope for fire at all, but, um, you mm-hmm. know, it's just going to take some getting used to. I will say this, that with, with these shows, when something traumatic happens, I am the kind of person who I'm like, don't talk about it. It happened. Don't bring it up again. Like, I don't want to hear it again. I know it happened. I want to leave it there. So like when, uh, when Burgess was shot and then in the, in, in 901 and everything, they kept recapping it. I'm like, stop. I don't want to see it again. You're like reopening old wounds. So for me, it's like, okay, Casey left. I already processed that. Stop it. I don't want to see it again. I don't want to hear it again. Quit. So seeing it in the recap and then seeing Severide see the empty office and then Brett just like looking for her phone the whole episode. I'm like, stop. Like, this is just making it worse. I guess the thing though is that again it's a little it's different because like at least on the Brett side of it like 
she and Casey are, te- you know, they are still in a long distance relationship. Like it's a part of Brett's life still, even though he is not physically there, like they're in a relationship, like it's going to come up. We are going to be reminded of it. And I don't know. I think the fact that we're still being reminded of it again, it's what makes it feel so different than any other exit to me personally. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. In a good way. Like I said, in a good way. I'm still holding on hope that eventually, and he's going to come back eventually. He can't not be at the Stellaride wedding. We already talked about it last week. I'm not going to dwell on it anymore. If he's going to be, whenever Stellaride gets married, it's going to happen. If he is not at the Stellaride wedding, like this cannot be a Peyton and Brooke situation. He'd better be at the fucking Stellaride wedding. Yeah. Oh my God, he'd better be at the Stellaride wedding. I'm going to be so mad if not. Because like, he's got to be the best man. It, I, I think it's going to happen. Okay, starting with Brett. Starting with Brett. Brett is getting ready for work and she's looking for something in her drawers. And it's all fun and games till she gets to the top drawers and it's empty because Casey moved out of shit. Really? Really? He never got to move in his shit. I know. I get that, like, they were victims of timing, but also, like, it drives me nuts that they had the slowest burn in history only to get, like, six episodes, and then that was it. Five, but yes. Five! Even that, like, ah, it was unfortunate timing. I get it. They did the best they could in the circumstances, but all that build up for, like, this much payoff. I know. It, it, that really, that scene hurt. I mean, I get, again, I get why they did it. You know, we, you know, started off the reminder. I get it, but it really hurt. It really hurts. Yeah, it does. So they, Brett and Violet get called out to this like basketball call. Basically this guy like dunked the ball and then the hoop came down and it's one of those, like, how did that happen? Kind of scenes, but they come back from the basketball call and Brett can't find her phone. So she's just like, no, it's Casey's first shift. I'm waiting for him to call me back. Like my head's not on straight today. This is all she does all episode is she's just like, ah, my phone. Really? Just. I hate seeing Sylvie sad. I hate seeing Sylvie sad. I hate that she's just pining for Matt, which is exactly what I thought was going to happen last week. Also, okay, I get it though, because he like just left. So that's fair. Well, and he just left. It's new, you know, it's obviously not what she thought was gonna happen when she got in a relationship with him. Mm-hmm. But you know, so it's unexpected too. But I think too, it's just trying again, it's just like us, like trying to figure out this new normal and it's weird and you know she's trying to make the best of it that we can, just like we are, but you know, it's yeah. just weird. It's a really, really big blow losing Matt Casey. And I feel like, I feel like certain people, like some people just don't really realize that, like what a big blow it is to lose him in this franchise. Like, yeah, like you said, new normal, we're getting, we're still trying to process what that's going to look like. It's going to be a while. It is. It It is. Happens. Yeah. 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 So on their way back from some other call, Brett and Violet, they go back to the basketball court to look for the phone. And, you know, Brett's sad. Her old phone had a ton of photos of her and Casey on it. There were voicemails that he's been leaving every morning since he got to Oregon. And, you know, she's she's just sad. And she apologizes to Violet for all the wallowing, which the minute she said wallowing, my Gilmore girl's brain got triggered. 
girl, you do your thing. You wallow all you want. Okay. Like that's all we've been doing. The entire fandom has been wallowing mm-hmm. for weeks or a week. And we're probably going to be wallowing for much longer. Yeah. So yeah, do your thing. You do you forget about what I just said. You do you, you wallow all you want. Um, also side note, Sylvie's definitely team Jess, right? You know, you tweeted that and it got me thinking, I guess. So I never really thought about it. Obviously there is no but... way that Sylvie has not watched Gilmore girls. Oh no, I'm not. Yes. hundred percent. Watch Gilmore girls. I think she's team Jess. I would assume. But I don't know. I could, also, I could also see her being team Dean, but nobody is team Dean. I, yeah, I was thinking that. I could see her being, okay. I No, I think that's wrong. I think you're team Dean. Some people are team Dean in the beginning, right? Like in the first couple of seasons. Mm-hmm. I think there's clearly team Dean and team Jess. You know, do you want her to be with Roy to be with like the good guy who cares about her? Or do you want her to be with the broody, you know, artistic Jess, who also somewhat cares about her, but, you know, has some weird things going on in his life. Yeah. So I think there is Team Dean, but definitely not past, like, season three. There shouldn't be Team Dean. So it's okay to be Team Dean in the beginning. As long as you choose a Jess or Logan in the later seasons. Yeah. Because by the time you get to the end of season four is when, you know, Dean's married and then he cheats on her, his wife with Rory. And that's where it gets like, no, no, no. We don't like that, Dean. We don't. No, 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 no. So what I'm saying, you can be team Dean in the beginning. I think it's fine to be team Dean in the beginning. But. That's like, I feel like you've announced like a new rule to the Gilmore Girls fandom. Cause like by that logic, then I mean, everybody's like team Dean slash team Jess or Logan. No, I'm saying you can be team Dean. I don't think, I mean, like, I think I probably was team Dean in the beginning. I don't remember. It's been a long time, but then obviously very much switched my allegiances completely over to Logan by season, you know, when season five comes along. I'm so, so glad that we are a team Logan podcast. Uh, team Logan till the day we die but (laughs) I don't care that he was her Christopher okay like he loved her and he treated her like a princess okay none of this broody like I wrecked the car your other boyfriend built for you shit like I I never warmed up to Jess ever oh man are we we gonna get into this we don't need to get in are we getting into this we're getting into this okay if we're going talking revival I was never a Jess person either, really. I never, you know, he wasn't somebody, he didn't do anything for me personally back then. But when the revival came along, I thought that I shipped, because Rory was just a terrible human being in the revival. So like Rory, you know, sucks. But I thought, and I thought Jess, I really liked revival Jess. And I thought revival Jess was way too good for Rory. Um. But my heart is still obviously always Team Logan. But yeah, okay. Based on based on what we've seen, based on what is canon, I feel like with Jess, you've got to fill in the blanks in a lot of places. You've got to fill in like the white space. So I feel like a lot of what makes people Team Jess is not stuff we ever saw. That's an interesting theory. I've never thought about that. Yeah. So it's been a long time since I've done a Gilmore Girls rewatch, but I'm still Team Logan. I don't care. 
Yeah, it's always Team Logan. Logan to me is, yeah. Team Logan. Logan. Yeah. For life. For life. life. For life. life. Yes. Yes. Um, Yes. I think Sylvie's definitely either Team Dean or Team Jess. Yeah, I don't see her being Team Logan. I could see her being Team Jess. I could see Violet being like, none of them. Rory sucks. Yeah, very much. Stella, too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think Stella's like, dude, Team Lorelai. I'm so glad she's happy. Yeah. <laughs> Casey has definitely watched it with her, right? I think like teenage shows from like the early 2000s are like Casey's guilty pleasure. Oh, man. We've yeah, already had the conversation good. about how he loves One Tree Hill. Yes, that's been a long conversation. Um, but now that he's staying with Griffin and Ben, he's obviously opened... Uh, he's obviously being opened up to a whole other birth of teenage shows, or, you know, <laughs> like whatever, like in the vein of like Outer Banks or like 13 Reasons Why or like in those like veins. And Casey's like, what the? He was like, this is not my wholesome, you know, teenage shows that I love. Dude, I love Outer Banks. You need to watch it. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. I just, I know. Funny note about that is that, okay, remember how I was talking about earlier how we've been watching old episodes of Whose Line? Well, like the ones from back in the day, like even like 1999, 2000s, there was this comedian on there named Chip Esten. And I was like, Esten, like, why does that sound so familiar? And I Googled it. The freaking dad from Outer Banks used to be on Whose Line Is It Anyway? He started in comedy. I was like, what? Mind blown. Isn't that the same guy who was on Nashville? Charles Esten. Yep. That is the same guy. Yeah. He went by Chip and in not the that I 2000s. watched. No, it's because not that I watched Nashville either, but I just, I know the name. Yeah. Yep. He went by Chip. I, yeah, my mind was blown when I made that connection. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. What were we talking about, Brett? Oh yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> we got way off track, but anyway. Way off track. Okay. So yeah, Brett apologized for all the wallowing. And so later on back at the firehouse, um, one of the boys from the basketball call, he drops off or he drops by the house and is like, Hey, somebody left this. I think this might be one of yours. And it's the phone. So he gives the phone to Kylie. Brett is like just ecstatic. She's so relieved. She feels so much better. And she goes back in the locker room and finds that Casey has left her a voicemail. Sylvie, I hate that we keep missing each other. I'm about to head on shift, so I probably can't talk for a while. Maybe we should make a call schedule and we're both free. We'll figure it out. I love you. Oh, man. This simultaneously made me feel like 20 times better, but also like it hurt really bad. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I think cause it was so unexpected. Like I wasn't expecting to hear Jesse's voice like right away. And especially mm-hmm. towards the end of the episode where obviously we've been missing Casey like this whole time. And then we hear his, you know, I, I, I think it was kind of obvious that she was going to get a voicemail for him, him, but, and like, listen to it and we were gonna see that but the fact that we got to hear it and I was like oh man that like that hurts yeah that Um, was that was a twist the knife moment but also like it made me feel better because you know I love Bretzy and I love that they're still in this long distance relationship and I love that he ended it with an I love you like I just I love the whole thing so like on the other hand you know it hurt but also I loved it so yeah 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 um 
I don't know if we're going to get more. Something I was thinking about today, like, I don't know if we're going to get more of these throughout the season. I mean, I guess I wouldn't complain. I don't know if that makes the fact that he's there or not there hurt again. I don't know if it'll make it hurt worse or I'll love it. But yeah, it's just that was so unexpected. It was. It was. It was. Yeah. Yep. I have a hot take, but I'm not even going to go there. No, go there. Just no, say it. but, but well, then you can't say you have a hot take if you're not going to share it. Oh my goodness. I'm going to have to dodge tomatoes on this one. It seems like he's making more of an effort to communicate with Brett now that he's gone than he made with Gabby when she left from Puerto Rico. Please don't throw tomatoes at me. Oh, wow. That was definitely not where I thought you were going with this. What did you think I was going to say? I thought you were going to say something about how you hated it and yada, 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 or whatever. No, that was not what I thought you were going to say at all. No, I do hate this. Don't get me wrong. I hate that he left. <laughs> like, no, I'm not talking about that. Hating, like, isn't like, why is this a thing? I, again, that was not where I thought you were going with this at all. But also they only gave Gabby and Casey one episode. Uh, please don't come for me. Please don't come for me. Again, I, I, I again, I don't think this is, I, I just think it's different exits. Like I, there was a different story that, you know, again, I, that's why I think these exits are clearly so different. Like I think Monica, you know, not that saying that she wasn't again, open to appearances every now and then or whatever, wouldn't come back and do a guest spot. But like, she was very much like, you know, I'll come wrap up, you know, I get it that that was kind of a weird ending for season six. Like I'll mm-hmm. give her an episode, like come back, wrap it up, whatever. But like, she wasn't going to be around all the time. Like she was going to do different things, whatever. Jesse is, I mean, Jesse's even said that, like, yes, he's taking a break, but like he's gonna be in Chicago. Like, you know, Callie still has a job there. Like, she's very much tied to Northwestern right now. Like, they're not going anywhere. You know, like he's gonna I again, I I just it's what why I'm taking to listen it. He will be back at some point. That's true. That's true. And like I said, it just it just feels very differently. It did mm-hmm. they just feel like different exits to me. And so I don't think that's necessarily a hot take. It's just different stories being told. That what Brian has said, don't come for me, please. Please don't. But also yeah, like, like you say, can't... I just I just Yeah. And not to say, you know, I just, you know, obviously I think the way they kind of, you know, wrapped up Gabby's storyline was not great. And I, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's okay to say that too, even though obviously I'm much more of a Bretzy person, so I'm okay with the way they're going with this now. But like, I just, again, I think it's two different stories, two different situations. I think it's kind of hard to compare and contrast and, Mm -hmm. you know, it, you know, it just kind of is what it is. So, but also like we created this podcast to share our feelings. And if you can't share your feelings, like where can you share them? Right. Yeah. Like I said, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that it's just like said different situations, but surrounding the actors exits and, you know, where they've decided to take the stories and I, you know, it's just different. Yeah. For sure. But I am curious, like, and again, this is why I'm wondering if we'll get more of these kind of like Jesse throw-ins here or there. Like, do you think he just, like, they already knew that this was going to be in this episode and they were like, hey, Jesse, before you go, like, can you just say this real quick? Like, go into a booth and record this? Like, I'm just curious, like, how this quote or, you know, the sentence, you know, a couple sentences, like, came about. Maybe it was as simple as Jesse leaving a voicemail on Derek's phone and being like, here, use this. I don't know. I don't know either. I don't know either. So 
I'm sure not from audio purposes that can't happen, but I mean, (laughs) still. Right. So, um, Megan R said, I melted when Matt said, I love you to Sylvie. I miss him like crazy, but it did feel good hearing his voice. And then she also said, side note, can we please have a Matt Casey, Jay Halstead, Crockett, Marcel, ASMR audio compilation of some sort? I would listen to that. Okay. But we know the Jay component and we know the Crockett component. What, what would be the Matt component? I don't know. I guess it was just hearing his voice or whatever. And now that we have no Jesse Spencer for the next little bit, like just anything of Casey talking is going to sound good. So that hurt a lot. Just hearing you say now that we have no <laughs> Jesse Spencer for a bit. Oh, I know it still hurts, but I, I guess that's what, I don't know, but yeah. It is so hard to imagine a one Chicago without Jesse Spencer. I know I'm, I, again, I'm still not over it i don't know if i'll be over it again this is honestly i think by far the character exit actor exit that has hurt the worst and like in just in general like even beyond when chicago i can't really remember an actor leaving for the most part of any show that like has hurt worse i mean the the franchise pretty much started with him yeah in a way he's the patriarch of the whole franchise I mean, he kind of is. I mean, Jesse was number one on the call sheet, you know, I mean, above Taylor Kenny, although I don't know how much above, but he's above Taylor Kenny. He was, you know, he, he was, he is one Chicago and it feels so weird. So weird without him. I mean, like our anchor was just like pulled out from under us. Yeah. The big blow. Yeah. Big blow. Yeah. Uh, Kimberly. Kimberly. Yeah. Yeah, Kimberly said, geez, that voicemail, just when you think you're fine, they have to throw that in. This is still going to take some getting used to, but at least we're one episode down. Right, right. One episode down. I don't know how many more to go, but yeah, I'm not okay. Moving into Severide. Severide, Severide, Severide. Okay, so there was some interesting discourse today, today being Thursday, in in the Pod Squad group chat. about this whole arson twin thing that's going on. Well, I say arson twin. That was the old name for Severide and Dawson. Never mind. But this arson storyline that we're getting. I'm curious your take on it because I know in the in in the group chat, um, I believe it was Lauren from the locker room. She was just kind of like, I hate this. Uh, that's not quite my take. I'm enjoying this. Here's the thing. I, I, I enjoyed, obviously, I always enjoy Severide doing arson investigation, right? Like, that'll never get old to me. Like, I obviously don't want Severide to go join arson forever. But, like, <laughs> I love Severide, you know, when he does do arson investigations. Like, he's just so good at it. And I just, I love him. So, yeah, that doesn't bother me. I think, and it was after we were talking about it and that Lauren said that, that it got me, you know, thinking about this, like, I more hate the Seeger of it all. Like, I'm really just over Seeger. And she's kind of getting up there with, like, Gorsh for me in terms of... And Hope is, like, I just... I can't stand her. Like, why is she here? Mm-hmm. And I brought up the point in the group chat that I said, you know, I wonder if the fact that, like, Seeger coming back is kind of, like, a last-minute thing when they realized Miranda would be gone for a little bit. Because I don't remember there any article being, you know, about, like, Andy coming back to guest star, you know, coming back for any kind of you know, in any kind of capacity. And I feel like typically when she has come back, it's been teased a little bit. So I wonder if 
the seeker half of it all is kind of like more of a last minute, like fill the Stella void or trying to fill the Stella void a little bit. And it just, it doesn't, the seeker half of it all is what's not working for me. And especially because it feels like we're going backwards. Like we'll get there, I guess, in a little bit, in a second, Mm -hmm. but like we went, you know, where Seeger clearly had a crush on Severide and then they brought her back in the next season to be like, no, I think we've put that past behind. You're like, oh, Seeger's going to help, you know, Seeger's great. Like Seeger's going to help Stella with Girls on Fire, yada, yada, yada. And now I feel like we're going backwards again. And Seeger's got some kind of crush on Severide again. And it just, I don't like the Seeger of it all. It's not that I don't like the arson part. I don't like the Seeger of it all. That's fair. That's fair. And I think for me, I, I actually, this is the only thing that I've been able to find solace in since last week. Right. So to me, I'm okay with the arson. This, this to me is like Derek coming at us with the blanket and being like, it's okay. They're there. They're there. And he's giving us an arson case of like, this is the kind of stuff we love. We're comfortable with this. We love this. We eat this up. It's comfortable. It's safe. So I'm okay with it. It's funny you say that though. It's funny that you say that though, because on one hand, I agree, but on the other hand, and I put this later in the outline that like mm-hmm. with Severide gone from the firehouse too, while Casey is gone for, you know, who, who are, and Stella is currently mm-hmm. gone for a little bit. Like the fact that we're also loaning Severide out just feels plain wrong. Like on the one hand, like I get that Severide doing arson is like what feels comfortable and I agree and familiar and it, I am grasping for that. But at the same time, it's like, the firehouse also feels weird without Severide, without Casey, without Stella. Like it just feels weird. So like just bring Severide back into the firehouse as quickly as possible. <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting your perspective on this. Cause like, I, I didn't bother me that Severide was loaned out, but now that you bring up the seeker of it all and, and hearing what she said in this episode about it, like the drinking buddy thing, we'll get into it, but like bringing in seeker when Stella's out is just plain disrespectful. That's what I'm saying but like I don't know if that is again I don't know you know what's going on and you know we, nobody still really knows why Miranda's gone or whatever and mm-hmm. you know and she was kind of teasing over the weekend during that virtual con that it's not going to be that long hopefully by the end of the you know by mid-season she should be back hopefully you yeah. know anyway um but that's what I'm saying. I wonder if the seeker of it all is kind of like a last minute Miranda's gone. So we can't give Severide any, you know, Stellaride things like let's throw Seeger back in the mix. That'll be fun. That sounds like a very Derek thing to do. Like <laughs> be like, oh, Stellaride's gone. Like let's throw in Severide, you know, this other person that has a crush on Severide. And it just, that just feels like a very Derek thing to do. Um yeah. So I don't know. It's just, again, it's really the seeker of it all that it's bothered me the most about it. Not necessarily the Severide arson part of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. Take us through Severide. Okay. So Severide and Bowden are walking in the shift and Severide is filling him in on the whole cat arson of it all. The fact that, you know, the cat was the starting point for this whole fire. Still too much. Still too much. Yeah. So apparently there were trails of accelerant were laid everywhere in the church. So that obviously when the cat ran, he actually ends up just like spreading the fire all over the church. Too much. Anyway. I hate cats, but too much. And so Severide also mentions the Bowden. He's like, oh yeah, Van Meter's going to stop by and look through our incident reports. And Bowden's like, I have a feeling that's not the only reason he's going to stop by. And Severide's like, what are you talking about? And Bowden's just like, huh. 
I am enjoying this running bit with Van Meter, though, how Van Meter just constantly wants Severide and Narsen. I am enjoying that. It is fun. It's like anytime Van Meter pops up, you're like, oh, I know what you're doing here. Right, right. This is, Well, if you would watch Parks and Rec, you would get this. But like, it's like the accounting firm with Ben, how they always want to poach him. And Ben's like, no, leave me alone. But you haven't seen Parks and Rec, so that that doesn't register. Yeah. Uh, but we do get this moment, though, like once Severide does walk into the firehouse to start shift, like he gets that. We, we've talked about it briefly already, but like that scene where he looks at Casey's empty quarters. And again, I'm just like, I'm not OK. Like, it's so painful. I'm like, I don't like this. It hurts. I don't like this. It really hurts. It really hurts. So like we said, Van Meter comes over to look through the incident reports but like all of a sudden Seeger shows up and it's obviously clear that he had alternative motives from coming over and so Severide agrees to help out with the investigation and like I said this is where I said you know like to me personally as much as obviously I love Severide doing arson stuff it felt a little weird when like we're already missing Casey and Stella to like also have Severide be away from the house but it's only temporary so I'm okay with it I guess Mm -hmm. Uh, but then we have this like whole you know I thought this was kind of funny Seeker's like you know this is gonna be fun and she's like you know you're the only person I know who thinks arson investigations are fun and you know Seeker's like the only one and she's like I saw how fast you got on your feet just now like Severide obviously loves arson investigation arson is Severide's middle name like I don't know why he's trying to downplay it that he doesn't like arson investigations I thought that was so cute and he he was like you're the only person that I think finds arson fun Severide have you met yourself like Right. Do you know your family lineage? Like, yeah. what are we talking about? It's in your DNA, hon. Yeah. So, Seeker and Severide start by going to visit Father Anthony and to tell him that the fire is looking more and more like arson and that, you know, someone said it intentionally. But so when they're telling him this, though, they don't seem that shocked. And so Severide and Seeker start questioning him about what he knows and he's still not really saying anything and she's just like you know father like did you receive a confession related to the fire and he just says you know he's like all i can say is i thank the lord that sister montclair wasn't hurt in the fire and so he and then he leaves and so severide and seeger you know trying to figure out what like what decode this like weird message and sever and she's like and so seeker's like oh well did you pull sister montclair out of the fire and Severide's like well no we didn't pull anyone out of the fire like there were no victims in the fire except for the cat like and so they're like, okay. So they go visit Sister Montclair. And, but of course, like before this whole had thing happened, Seeger has to ask about Stella. Um, and apparently Stella is kicking so much ass with the Girls on Fire program that they've asked her to move on to a couple cities in Connecticut and like start working on setting up some programs there. I missed that line of dialogue. What the fuck? Bring her back, please. I don't like that. How did you miss that? I, Charlie was probably trying to like burn down the kitchen again. I don't know. <laughs> um, We've been watching Gordon Ramsay all during quarantine, quarantine words. Um, yeah. So he was probably trying to burn down the kitchen. So of course, like as you know, they're having this conversation, Seeger of course has to work in like asking him for a drink if he's free and Severide doesn't really say yes or no, but it's just like he, it's just weird. It's just the weirdest in normal situations i would be like good job you shot your shot go get it but with seager i'm like back it up back it up the yeah. disrespect back it up well 
it it takes me back to like the first time that Seeker had a crush on Severide and like Casey comes into OFI or whatever because he's helping them out on whatever investigation mm-hmm. and he tells Severide that like you know if Sela saw the way that she's looking at you right now like she would basically like wouldn't be here anymore or whatever like it's just like really like Seeger is making it so obvious to everyone but Severide and it's just like how can you not pick up on the Severide? Like, do you not understand her motives? How do you, I don't get it. I don't. Which like also Seeker, listen, same. Okay. We've all got a crush on Kelly Severide. I mean, like, yeah, I don't blame her, but. But we also respect that he is engaged to be married. And here's the thing. Seeker, you know, is technically Stella's co-chair on the Girls on Fire stuff. Right. So. One, how does she not know about what Stella's already doing in Connecticut and, you know, Boston and all those, you know, whatever. I feel like she has to know, right? Right. Anyway. And two, because she's co-chairs and still, I guess, somewhat friendly with Severide, she's got to know that they're engaged, right? God, I would hope so. I hope she's not just, I hope she's still, I, let's put it this way. I hope that the only reason she's doing this is because she thinks he's, you know, in a relationship but not engaged i would hope that she wouldn't do this if he was engaged but anyway i i don't know like i feel like stella definitely friended her on facebook just to keep an eye on her oh 100 percent. yeah 100 percent. yeah so Sister Montclair works for St. Sebastian's school, the, you know, the school is associated with the church. And so she, but she admits though that like, she wasn't there when the church caught on fire. So she doesn't really know anything. And they're like, well, do you know who might set the church on fire? And she mentioned a kid named Messiah Adler, who just got expelled last year after he accidentally lit a classmate's hair on fire. Casual. So they, of course, go to check in with Messiah and he, you know, has an alibi. He was at his uncle's funeral. So, of course, he didn't start it. But he does mention to them, though, that Father Anthony is apparently in some kind of trouble with the church and actually might end up losing his parish. So now Severide and Seeger are thinking, okay, well, maybe Father Anthony had something to do with it. And that's why he's not coming clean. So... Severed and Seeger go to the archdiocese. I think I said that right. Yeah, you did. Anyway, to try and ask more questions. But of course, the archbishop isn't there to approve the meeting. So it just really gets them nowhere. Except they talk to the janitor, which I love how I did love this one moment. How Seeger's like, you know, whoever, you know, who has the good gossip in my building? The superintendent. So let's go talk to the janitor. Like I thought I was like, oh, yes, the janitor always has the good gossip. For sure. Yeah always and so the janitor talks and they learn that apparently they archdiocese has been looking into saint sebastian's donation books but father not what is his name father anthony i was like what is his name um father anthony is old school he you know no computers paper only and apparently he's been stalling on handing over his ledgers. And of course, now that they've been burned up in a fire, he can't turn them over. Man, the minute that this guy would not like basically tell Severide what happened in confession, I was like, this is an insurance fire. Like point blank. It's an insurance fire. I had it pegged from like the get go. But, 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 but the plot thickens. It does. The plot thickens. So Severide and Seeker run their theory by Van Meter, who eventually agrees and is like, hey, yo, divide and conquer. 
Seeger, you go talk to the parishioners. Severide, you go talk to Father Anthony. So Father Anthony goes to his office, or Severide goes to Father Anthony's office, and he walks in, he finds an empty office, and he hears, like, a crash coming from upstairs. So as Severide walks upstairs, somebody, not Father Anthony, but some guy, throws Severide into the wall and then, like, runs past him. Rude. And Severide's like, do I go upstairs? Do I go after the guy? But so Severide goes upstairs because he still hears that someone's clearly up there and finds father anthony taped to a chair and set on fire as one does on the show yeah and of course severide is a boss and handles it like a champ gets you know puts the fire out you know yada 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 but so of course father anthony has to go to med and while that's happening atwater comes by yes kevin atwater is back Mm -hmm. on fire and we're hashtag blessed. Oh my God. Hashtag blessed with the cameos. It was awesome. Yeah. And so Atwater comes by to take a statement. And of course he mentions that like cameras are down from the security breach, which we'll get there. But um, so they may or may not have picked up the suspect fleeing the scene. So like we really are kind of in square one, like, uh, you know, yada, yada, yada. So Severide and Seeker head to med to be there when Father Anthony wakes up when Marcel, again, hashtag blessed comes out and tells them that Father Anthony has to be kept in medically induced coma for a while, so he won't be able to give them the name of the suspect or who, you know, who did this to him. I I love how, like, nine, ten seasons later, it just hits different every time you see, like, a med character on fire or a PD character on med or whatever. Like, it just hits different. It's always just, like, special to see them. You're like, oh, hey, like, we just saw you. Hi. Yeah, I think to me, it just reminded of what makes it like why this universe makes so much sense. Because like, obviously, when you have an arson and you have, you know, somebody get hurt, then of course, the police are going to show up to investigate. Mm -hmm. And like, if that person, you know, if the victim then gets injured, of course, they're going to go to the hospital and see the doctors to get treated. Like, it just, it makes so much sense. Yeah. And, you know it just it works like you said it works so well I, I hope that yeah. feeling never gets old of like when you see you I know, don't think it will it, yeah we're 10 seasons in and I think it's honestly not that it got old but you know before this but I think with COVID and the fact that we haven't been able to have crossovers and we haven't really been able to I think every time it just makes it now every time we see one more special yeah that's a good point that's a good point do you think Will knows that Jay is engaged I don't know. We haven't had a Halstead Brothers and like, like when was the last time that Will and Jay interacted? Do we think Jay knows that Will got fired for a brief moment in time exactly. and is now back, like rehired? I think Jay definitely knows that Natalie's gone, but I don't think that he knows that Will got like swept up in it. I don't know. I it's a great question. Are they talking? We need some answers. We do need another Halstead Brothers scene. We have been deprived of those for a, a really long time. For like two full seasons now. That's crazy. Give it back to us, please. Please? Pretty please? Or also give, well, no, you know what? I need somebody to write the fic in like the white space where they catch up for like the first time in forever. And Will's like, I got fired. And Jay's like, I got engaged. Like, I need that. <laughs> no, I still want the fic of jay asking will for their dead mother's ring back oh yeah 
But I think, I think, I think Jay asked for it. And then Will's like, dude, like forge your own path. Okay. Like both of us have had (laughs) bad luck with this ring. Like get her, get her, her own ring. Speaking of rings, you know, who else needs a ring? Who? Stella. Doesn't she have one? Well, he didn't like give her one in the fire because duh, but like. No, because remember they have the whole conversation when they have sex at the very end of that episode. And, you know, he says, I don't have a ring for you, whatever. It's almost like, I don't really need a ring. And she's like, just kidding. I want a ring. But no, he doesn't. She doesn't have a ring yet. Give the girl a ring. My God. What I'm saying. Man. Like. Man. I still also, if we're talking about engagements, I still just want to know if the rest of the unit knows that Haley and Jay are engaged. Probably not, but. I mean, we haven't even heard them like acknowledge it since. Like, yeah, they moved in together. That's great. And Burgess was like, you know, we all know you're together, right? But I don't know if they know that like they're engaged. I don't think so. Yeah. I doubt it. But. I know. Yeah. Upstead engaged before Burzik. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Side eye at Berzik, but whatever. We'll get there. We'll, we'll get, get there. there. We'll get there. Um, so we did have some listener thoughts. Um, Allison G said, Seeker flirting with Severide when Stella's out of town was predictably annoying. I like that they took a moment for Severide to look at Casey's office. A showdown is coming between Herman and Herman, who undoubtedly is going to want that office for himself. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It was just, it was predictable. The Seeger Severide stuff was just, it was predictable. But also, like, Herman deserves his own office space, okay? Like, respect for Herman. It's been 10 damn seasons. It Well, it's not been that long for Herman to have an office, but yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes, I agree. True. Um, Christina said, I really just wanted to rant a little bit about the Seeger situation. I'm really annoyed that the writers are still making her seem like she's trying to steal Kelly from Stella. When they brought her back as the sponsor Stella needed to get Girls on Fire going, it really seemed like they were shifting her story in a more positive direction. I really believe that she had realized she was out of line before, and now she truly wanted to help Stella with a program she believed in. I thought we were getting a story about women lifting each other up instead of two women fighting over a boy. I really wanted to like Seeger, but now with her trying to move in on Kelly while Stella's out of town, it seems my hope for that whole story of women empowering each other is out the window. I know there's no chance in hell that Kelly's taking the bait here and there's no real threat to Stellaride, but that almost makes it more frustrating. What's the point? Seeger just looks silly and desperate. There's such a great opportunity for her to be a great character who embodies a strong female leader in the CFD, but this direction they've taken her just cheapens her, in my opinion. <laughs> I love how the entire fandom has banded like together on this one. All Seeger did was say, Hey, if you need a drinking buddy, I'm here. That's literally all she did. And the whole fandom is like, get away from him. I love it. But we know that she has ulterior motives. That's why we're all like that. But also who can blame her? I, I mean, I, I get it. I get it. I get it. But still, but still, but still, but still. So moving into Mouch and Herman, I love these. When they let Mouch and Herman just shine, oh my God, they're so good. Yeah, I really enjoyed this. Yeah. So we start off with the breakfast scene and Cruz is like totally sleep deprived. Oh my God, it's so sweet. Okay, so his shirt is on inside out. He comes in, he's like chugging coffee. Not only is he chugging coffee, did you catch what mug he used? 
Yes. Dang it, it's in my... Yeah, but I have it. My big hug mug. It was the big hug mug! Mm-hmm. My heart! Poor Cruz, he's like, if I could just get, like, three hours of uninterrupted sleep. Like, oh my god. This poor thing. So funny. So, they're all sitting down at the table together. Mouch doesn't want to answer his phone. Like, his phone is ringing, whatever. Doesn't want to answer it. Gallo and Ritter are like, can you silence that? Like, so we don't have to hear it? And Mouch is just like, what? Huh? So Gallo just like does it anyway. And he's like, dude, it's like cell phone 101. Never gets old. Never gets old. Never gets old. And also, wasn't it like Trudy's brother or something like that? Trudy's like talkative cousin or something like that. Yeah. Is that the same one from the bachelor party? I know. Mm, I said, I don't know. It was a long a time question. ago. I know. I know. TBT. I know. Okay. So. 51 and 61, they get called out to a scene by like a real live person. I didn't realize that the alarm voice was automated. Well, it's like, I mean, yeah. You don't, you think that the alarm sounds like a real person? Uh, yeah. Well, no. Now that I think about it. I'm, I'm playing it back in my head. I'm like, no, that definitely doesn't sound like a person. But no, yeah. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, by, by a real life person. And Gallo's like, that was a person. And Herman's just like, I haven't heard that in a long time. Long time. So they show up to this call and multiple engines are there. So they're having like the total banter of just like, we were here first. Leave me alone. Like, blah, blah, blah. blah. Um, and it's all engine when this is clearly a truck call. Clearly a truck call. Go ahead. Yeah, and eventually like a truck company's shows up but it's like it's a little too late i guess but it's yeah yeah i have to say though as a basketball fan this call has kind of scarred me for life i saw a lot of tweets where people were like how does that happen like how does a basketball hoop fall i can see it happening i mean i can see the basketball the basketball hoop falling is not the part that gets me it's the fact that you know part of it you know came apart or whatever and went in the guy's shoulder or arm or whatever part of you know that's the part that scars me for life. Not the not necessarily the hoop falling on him. Yeah, I feel like soccer has desensitized me to a lot. I've seen some pretty gruesome leg breaks following soccer. So like, not a lot phases me. Not a lot. No, it's not necessarily the injury. Let's put it this way. It's not necessarily the injury itself. It's the fact that you see the hoop, you know, being the thing to injure the guy. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I'm sure if they did this with a soccer goal and, you know, it was a soccer goal falling on somebody and hurting them. And, you know, then you've got half the soccer goal sticking in the person's arm. Like, I think you'd probably feel slightly the same way. Probably. Probably. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. So multiple engines show up to this call and like, uh, I totally had forgotten what this episode was about. And so when all the engines show up, I'm like, why did engine get called? Does an engine just handle the water? Like, why? That's the point. Exactly. That is the point. So Kylie and Bowden get a call from headquarters. There has been a major security breach of the city's computer networks. So the entire 911 call center is down. Cool. But also like every first responder show has been doing this one lately. It's, yeah. I mean, I guess the only nice thing is that like while we have seen the hack, 
the hacking storyline a lot on mm-hmm. you know like on a lot of shows recently i think fire took a slightly different approach in the fact that you obviously then have to see fire come together and you know be the 911 center mm-hmm. cuz like a lot of times like when you know grays did it like we obviously didn't see what happened with grays we just see the fact that like they can't get in their charts and you know like they're freaking out of the fact that their system was hacked yeah um so but, like it is a slightly different approach but yeah it's kind of becoming a little much regular fbi like just did it yeah yeah and like their second episode i'm not complaining the fbi the fbis have been so good lately um did you start international yet you said you were going to i gotta catch up no i i watched something else instead but i gotta catch up you're killing me i I need somebody to gush about like i i'm the only person right now who's like in the scott forrester fan club i need somebody else to like join me well, just because I watch doesn't mean I'm going to join you, but I probably will. Let's be real. Okay, but I, I need somebody to text and be like, oh my God, Scott, he's so dreamy. And somebody to respond and be like, he is so dreamy. I, I'm i going to try. I'm, I got to catch up. I just, I'm, I got to catch up. Yes, Derek, if you're listening, I'm totally sucked into FBI International and I love Scott Forrester. Yes, confirmed. If you're listening, which you may not be, but yeah. <laughs> so, uh, the entire 911 call center is down. So they have to go old school. Pen and paper, like old school map, like the one you print off MapQuest. Uh, and then I think Mouch even has people like empty their pockets with loose change. Uh, that was pretty funny too. When they were trying to decide like what coin meant which. Uh, yeah, so Brett stops Herman and Mouch and she's like, listen, my friend Hannah wants to talk to you guys. Like you guys specifically, we'll just play the clip. Um, can I steal you two for a moment? Yeah, sure. Everything good? Yeah, um, my friend Hannah, she's a senior operator at the 911 call center. She wants to speak with you. She asked for us by name? Not exactly. She asked for the BG guys. Yeah, she meant the OG guys. No, she means the guys who've been here since before Google. Oh. Okay, I don't know who came up with this before Google bit, but they need a raise. It's so funny. It's so funny. Before Google. It's so funny. When the fact that Herman was like, oh yeah, she meant OGs. And Fred's like, yeah, no. <laughs> oh my God. Hilarious. So the alarm office has requested that 51 act as a satellite office. So they're in charge of routing all the calls. And they do this super, super old school. So Herman and Mouch are like, been there, done that. We can do this no big deal they start assigning tasks and the map scene when they're assigning the rigs with the different coins is hilarious because like uh i think at first like squad or pennies and the squad guys are like hey like we should be quarters um and so they flip it and then ambo becomes pennies and violet's like that's rude like (laughs) what are you doing so funny so they start taking 911 calls it is chaos chaos They basically get a call for a woman who's like, she cut herself cooking and she cut an artery, but they're not sure who they're going to send out. And so Mouch totally talks her through it, stopping the bleeding, all that stuff. It's a really close call, but Violet and Brett get there like right in the nick of time. So that's Mm -hmm. good. So then all of a sudden, because again, this can't get crazy enough. This guy comes running over and he's like, dude, my garage is on fire. Called 911, but he couldn't get through. So he just showed up. But of course, at this point, all of 51, except for Ambo, has been taken completely out of service. So 
Bowden eventually lets Cruz take over 51 and takes Cap and Tony out there with him. That moment when he was like, take command of 51, I was like, oh, oh, I like this. Wait a second. I'm enjoying this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So then at one point, Herman hits the bell button. There's an actual button that rings like an actual bell. And Gallo goes, when did that button get there? And Mouch goes, when the room was built, like Firehouse 101. But even I'm like, wait, wait. What does that do? Just like the bell. It actually rings like an old school actual bell. No. What does it do? Did I miss that part? I think it just rings. You know how like when the doors get lifted and they get called out, Mm -hmm. like the bell goes off. I think instead of that being automatic, it's just the manual version. Like you hit the button and the bell goes off. Right, okay. like instead of the computer, like you know, or it, like automatically doing it when they open the doors and they go out, like it's just you can manually hit the button and it'll do it. Got it. I don't think it's like an actual old school bell. <laughs> Got it. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> these these scenes when Herman and Mouch just school Gallo and Ritter, it's art. What is so funny? Because obviously, like before, Gallo's like, "Oh, that's cell phone 101," and now Mouch is like, "Oh, well, this is Firehouse 101." I, it's it's so funny, so funny. So then Gallo and Ritter start bickering because like Gallo can't spell apparently. Um, I don't remember what he misspelled, but they're like talking about something at some point, and Mouch knocks over a cup of coffee, so he's like freaking out. He's like, "Whose chicken scratch is this?" I said, "No liquids by the map." All this stuff, and Gallo goes, "Oh, the serial killer handwriting. That's Ritter." And Ritter goes, "Yeah, spell serial." <laughs> I don't that know was what- honestly my, I think, favorite part, like line of the night. I just, I thought that was hysterical i don't know why but i thought that was hysterical it was really funny and isn't this the scene when gallo was like yeah like there's an invisible l in wabash yes which like we always there's not what it's not there okay good there's not so so we tweeted this when the episode aired we were like there's an invisible l in wabash and right before we started recording joe minoso actually quote tweeted us and was like not that i'm aware of so I think Gallo just like made up a spelling rule like on his on his own. Well, the, yeah, it's it's Ritter the one that says there's an invisible L, you know, and Gallo's like really, um, but yeah, it there's not. I googled it. You <laughs> look up and it's Wabash. Just okay, okay. So I don't know why you know I don't know why that's in there, but like, okay. So yeah. so my like whole introduction to Chicago in general happened when Lance Bass made that movie in the year 2000 called On the Line in sync for life. Hi. Um, and the movie took place in, in Chicago, obviously. And the stop was Wabash. So like the minute Ritter said that, I was like, no, there's not. No, there's not. It's been like 20 years of being familiar with like Chicago and Wabash. No, there's not an L in Wabash. I basically spent like way too much time being like, no, there's not. No, there's not. Like doubting myself. I'm glad we cleared that up. I Googled it. No, there's not. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Hilarious. Uh, So eventually they catch the hackers and everything's back to normal. So later on at Molly's, Gallo buys Mouch a beer for saving the day. And it's pretty funny. Just, you know, he's like, oh, thanks, Gallo. Like, you know, you're not a spelling me champ, but you're not completely useless either. And then like Mouch has all these beers in front of him. And Gallo's like, are these all yours? And Mouch is like, you really don't think you're the first person to buy me a beer today, do you? (laughs) <laughs> hilarious so then Bowden just kind of expresses similar thoughts he's just like you know like 
You and Herman went all in, you made the BG years proud. And he said, these young kids forget sometimes that there's a lot to learn from the past. I hope we never forget that. I'm really enjoying learning the old lessons from Herman and Mouch. Yeah. It's, it's great. Really, it's really, it's been a fun way to get, like, I don't want to say give them something to do because that sounds wrong, mm-hmm. but like showcase them differently and, you know, really allow them to shine. It's, it's been a really nice, you know, cause obviously now we saw it last season, you know, we've seen it, we started to see it over the last couple seasons and I've, it's, I've really enjoyed it. Yeah. It's been really, really great. Really great. So uh, Allison G said, I thought the 911 call center storyline on fire was the most compelling of the night. Anytime Herman and Mouch get to show everyone what they can do with all their experience as firefighters always makes for a great story. Maybe especially because they so often get used for comic relief. I really liked how they had all the characters stepping up to help each other get through an experience that was stressful and challenging in ways that are so different from their normal shifts. Yeah. Uh, Megan R said it was nice to see Match Herman taking the lead. The old school approach they used to respond to the calls was cool to watch. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then Haley said, I thought the 911 call center going down and 51 taking command would have worked better either as a bottle episode for all of the characters or as the big three show crossover they like to do. Remember big three show crossovers? And those were the days. TBT. TBT. Yeah. She said, I think it would have been interesting to loop in PD and med as well, since their jobs also rely heavily on 911 calls, not just fire. Would be cool to see Trudy and Voight and Goodwin and Dr. Charles working alongside Mouch and Herman, since they're kind of the OGs of their respective cast. Rusick and Atwater taking notes with Gallo and Ritter would have been comedy gold. Oh my God, it would have been. It would have been amazing. It would have been, yeah. There would be enough anarchy and crime popping up for the PD kids to have something to do. Also, how does med do their jobs effectively when they don't know what they're getting patient-wise or when they think they'll get patients? I thought the call center was a cool idea. I just think it got lost in the shuffle of the episode and should have been reserved for something else. It was far more invested in the arson stuff than anything else going on. That's fair. I think that would have been interesting, though, if they had done, like, a three-show crossover like that. Um, and now I just really have the idea of Ruzik and Atwater taking notes with Gal and Ritter. Like, I need it. In my I head. need it. I, I really thick- just need go ahead go ahead I was just gonna say I really just need Ruzik and Atwater and Gallo and Ritter like the four of them having to beer at Molly's I really just I need that in my life I need the one-shot fanfic of them playing beer pong at Molly's oh my god that would be hysterical I need it one of them would get hyper competitive and I think it's Gallo Gallo and Ruzik that would be yeah but then also Ruzik would eventually make some sort of crack about being like, oh, well, we're old. We have to be in bed. Like, you know, we're not 12 like you guys. Yeah, it's just, yeah. It's, I need it. I need that. I yeah. need it. Um, and Kimberly J said, I do think this was kind of the perfect storyline to ease us into a post-KC world. Um, I love Match Determined in Charge teaching the millennials some new tricks. Those two have so much experience to share and hopefully we get to see more of it. Post-KC world. Yeah, I know. It's a sad term. I know. I don't like it. I don't like it either. But like, like also it's reality. I know. I know. Oh, I'm with you on that one. Mm. Yeah. Any other notes on fire? Nope. Like it's it's just, you know, not a bad episode, just a weird one. Just a weird one. Yeah, it wasn't bad for our first post Casey episode, but it was also just kind of but also yeah, we need just, Stella back. 
come back please we and need her it really now that jesse is also gone it's really glaring that miranda is also not there exactly exactly so exactly yeah so all right stretch it out it's pd time gonna stretch and snap crackle pop for a second okay so this was a ruzik episode it was a good one too yeah it was a pretty good episode this is one of those episodes where the case was so detail heavy that it got lost a little bit but i think the end kind of salvaged it enough i thought the case was fine i like didn't really care as as per usual but okay so we start off ruzik shows up to a bar that is not molly's not molly's i think this is like not molly's i think this is just like kim at adam's bar I don't know, but I, I don't, it's just so glaringly obvious. Like we haven't seen that. Well, Ruzik, I guess we've seen in Molly's felt more recently than anybody, mm-hmm. but you know, cause of last season, but I just, I don't like it. I don't like what, like, what's the point of having Molly's if you're not going to go to Molly's? Well, I think it's Burzik's place, right? I think that's like their bar, their little hideaway bar. I also need to cross check it, but I wonder if that owner of the bar, I wonder if that's the guy Ruzik was going to buy the boat from. I don't know. I I had didn't even cross my mind. I think that might be like their space. Maybe that's their new locker room. I don't know. I just it hurt. I know. Go to Molly's. I know. I know. Um, he shows up for a poker game of all things. I'm like a poker game. Like, sir, you're a dad now. Like, shouldn't you be watching Disney movies with Michaela? I mean, he's hanging with the older guys, so I guess you know, hanging with fellow dads i don't know i mean yeah yeah so he gets a text from kim in the middle of the poker game apparently some dog destroyed michaela's platypus and like she's having a meltdown bad dog (laughs) that platypus is sacred how dare you and she asks him if he can pick up another one and he just up and leaves because dadum dadum ruzik dadum forever forever he is a dad, big time. Mm-hmm. I think as Lauren from the locker room always says, like, Delph Nation, rise up. <laughs> <laughs> Delph Nation. Yeah. But actually, though. Yeah, so he's at, like, this mall, and he's getting, like, another platypus. And the woman behind the counter, she's like, how old is your daughter? And Adam just says, well, she's not my, she's seven. Like, the give up, he's like, she's not my, never mind, she's seven years old. Yeah, I'm not going to try to explain. She's my daughter. Dadum! Dadum! Oh my God. It's so good. It's so good. So we get like a millisecond to enjoy that. And then like clockwork, it's an episode of PD. Adam's a cop, so he can't just live. There's got to be an emergency. So gunshots go off and Adam sees three guys in masks like downstairs at the mall robbing a jewelry store. So... He starts going after them and like it eventually gets out to the streets. Side note, this was like right in the heart of downtown Chicago. And I swear to God, I recognized exactly where they were. But I think I might have been wrong. I don't know. Did we go in there? I feel like we did. 
I feel like now that you said that, I w- it wouldn't have crossed my mind, but I do remember going in some mall, like walking yeah. through a mall. No, I, I feel like that's exactly where we go we to get pizza one time. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so so he runs out into like the corner or whatever, and then like when they pan the camera around, there's a Homewood Suites, and then across the street there's a Starbucks. And in my mind, I'm like, I know exactly where that Starbucks is because I think the Marriott where we stayed before is like around the corner. We stayed at a Marriott? Oh, no. Okay. I've stayed at a Marriott because I did remember the second convention. Um, I had been to a Wintry Hill convention at that hotel. Yes. I remember that. I remember that. I, I remember swear. That. He walked out of there. And I knew exactly where he was. I was like, oh, like this is totally I swear, but Yeah. Now that you say that, I'm like, I think we walked through that mall to go get pizza. I think you're exactly right. Yeah. I don't know, but now that you say that, I'm like, that sounds very familiar, but I don't know. Like, tell me you're a shyhard without telling me you're a shyhard when, like, they pan to somebody's location on the show and you're like, I know where that is. Like, yeah. 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 Oh, um, man. It just, that that cracked me up because I was like, oh, my God, I know exactly where he is. Like, there's there's a Dylan's Candy right there and then there's, like, a pizza place around there and, like, yeah. Yeah. God, we need to go back to Chicago. I miss it so bad. I miss it so bad so so bad um side note our friend rachel just got to the anna episodes so um our group text is currently lighting up just all caps text like anna um yeah i'm trying to google exactly where that was so that i can find it and that's why i saw the text message (laughs) oh my god rachel just asked do we like anna oh girl oh girl i can't i don't want to like spoil it for her just just oh sweetie Okay, wait. So here's the Hilton Magnificent Mile. Okay, hold on. I'm Googling. This is okay, not on the clerk. Let's see. I know I'm like legit. No, I'm gonna find this. But yeah, I think I, I recognize the exact area. I was like, oh, he's right in the middle of downtown. Okay, so uh, the mall patrol sergeant, he's not like a rent a cop, he's an actual CPD, but he's like a patrol sergeant or something. Um, he yells after Ruzik to stop the chase. At this point, he's just like straight up running on like I think it's Michigan Avenue. I don't fucking know. Um but there's too many civilians around. So he's like running in the street. He's zigging and zagging at this point. And it's funny because if you watch the clip back, like he runs in front of two cars, right? So one car slightly swerves to avoid him. The other car does like a full 90 degree turn into a pedestrian, which is totally unnecessary when you watch it back. You're like, yeah. I think they just got distracted, obviously, by Ruzik running down in the middle of the street, and that's why they end up doing that, but still. If the car in front of you can swerve just a teeny little bit to avoid you, there's no reason for you to turn into the pedestrian who's, like, walking on the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. So, yeah, Adam doesn't listen. The pedestrian gets hit by the car, and, like, honestly, like, okay, the robbers get away, but also, like, Ruzik, like, doesn't give a fuck. Um... <laughs> Like the robbers get away and they're just like, Adam, like, holy shit, what did you do? And this poor woman is like on the ground, just like writhing in pain. And Adam's just like, it's going to be okay. Sorry, not sorry. Next time don't get in the way. I don't know. Adam, just Adam. So intelligence rolls up and they don't know anything major right now, of course, but Detective Ortiz shows up. Enter Detective Ortiz. Okay, so he has apparently been working this crew. I don't remember what unit he's from, but- Robbery homicide. Robbery homicide, what Bryna said. Oh, I wonder if he knew Upton then. 
He didn't seem like it. So I know, right? I know, right? So um, Voight's like, hey, we like you. Let's work together. Which like at this point, it's like 10 after nine, 10 after 10. Oh yeah, what could possibly go wrong? Let's all work together with 50 minutes left to go in the episode. What is also like, since when has Voight ever said those words? Ever? No. Like Voight never invites other police to work with him very oh very rarely i should say right so very i think rarely. the i think the moral of the story that we've learned from this anytime void is like hey outside cop we like you they're shady as fuck it, pretty much yeah yeah pretty much so um what i do want to point out about this um you watched selena the series right i did not yet it's on one um, of my yeah. like, never ending lists okay so so detective ortiz is played by ricardo shavira and Ricardo Shavira actually played Abraham in Selena the series, which like, I don't know who cast him, but it was absolutely genius doing this because the way Patty acts and the way Oscar acts are very similar to the point that putting them together is just genius because like you see how they feed off of each other in the scenes and it just gets better and better and better. It's so good. Yeah, you could, you could definitely tell, like it didn't seem like they had only ever just worked together. Right. For like this one episode. Like you would have thought they'd had like a long, long, you know, friendship for, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's a behind the scenes video from Selena, the series when, uh, I mean, we all know the Selena story that, you know, she's brutally murdered at the end by a crazy fan, but uh, there's, there's a scene, there's a behind the scenes like thing on YouTube that I saw that Oscar Shavira is like, he's talking about basically, you know, what is going on in Abraham's head when he shows up to the hospital under the news that Selena has been shot. And it's the kind of, in-depth kind of like an analytical answer that it's the same kind of thing we get from patty it's the same kind of thing we get from nick where it's super in-depth and like theoretical and you just like love it and you just latch onto it so seeing them act together is fantastic because they just feed off of each other and it's so good yeah it was really nice really really good yeah so then we're back in the bullpen. Ortiz is going over what he knows. And he says the offenders like really high-end watches. They always wear their skull masks and they always steer, steal their vehicles. So very apropos for Halloween, skull masks, whatever. So patrol just found the getaway vehicle and they found it abandoned. So the Burzics go to check it out. And on their way out, Platt asks to speak to Ruzik. And apparently the mall sergeant is putting in a complaint about Ruzik disobeying his order on the foot chase directive that he just signed. And it's apparently something that actually just happened to CPD in real life, um, which was really interesting because I, I know when when she had mentioned this and she was like, you're going to get in a lot of trouble for this. I was like, wait, wait, why? Why? Like it didn't register. But um, Allison G sent over a local article. Yeah, apparently it's like, I was reading it a little bit, apparently, and she was kind of telling us that, like, I guess it's like a hot button, you know, it's like very controversial in, you know, the CPD, like in real life. Mm -hmm. Um, But I thought, okay, so this was something I wouldn't have even really thought about until obviously I read the article. So in the article, which is from like earlier this year. It says, you know, like under the policy, which will begin as an interim plan and with final rules set for September, foot pursuits would only be allowed when there is, and I quote, probable cause for an arrest or it is believed that an individual has committed is committing or is about to commit a crime so if that's the case and that's the rule right wouldn't this mean that adam could have done the foot chase because he actually saw them committing the crime yeah it absolutely would have he's got the probable cause he witnessed it i mean unless there's something and i'd have i'm trying to go back and like pull it back up again to see you know 
if there's anything about it doesn't say anything i think about like the fact that you know civilians are around um it just says you know defining foot pursuits as appropriate only when there's probable cause you know like i just said um i don't know i just feel like Oh, it says ensuring circumstances surrounding the foot pursuit are considered before any foot pursuit takes place. Officers must ask themselves if the need to apprehend a subject is worth the risk to responding officers, the public, or the subjects. But like, still, I feel like Adam was in the right. But I think he was too. I think I think the beef comes from the fact that the patrol sergeant told him to stop and he didn't obey. I mean, there's no way that person was like on the sidewalk when she got hit by the car. There's no way that like. Adam would have seen that engage that as like a danger. Maybe there is. I don't know. I don't know. But I just thought that was interesting that like by this, Adam was, you know. In the right. Yeah. Yeah, entirely in the right. So IAD wants to meet and he has 24 hours to respond. So Burzik goes out to the abandoned car. And apparently there was raw crystal meth found in the back seat. So the tech is also able to pull a print of a Paul Lambert, the driver of the robbery crew. They pull his cell, and apparently after every robbery, he calls the same same number, which belongs to a guy named Timothy Skiles, who owns a pawn shop. So not only do we get Berzik in this episode, we get Birdwater. Hashtag blessed. Really blessed. Hashtag blessed. Hashtag blessed. So they sit on the pawn shop. They see the Skiles guy walk out with a duffel bag. They follow him while Ruzik and Ortiz, like, stay parallel. So they're just kind of, like, off in another spot watching. So Ortiz and Ruzik just start chatting and Ortiz mentions that he's retiring. So um, there's also a certain note at this point where in like Ruzik talks, he basically talks Ortiz up to Burgess and like explains why he's so amazing. And at one point he even mentions, he's like, dude's like the opposite of my dad, which mm-hmm. like casual reminder that pretty much all the men in Ruzik's life have let him down. We'll get there. Except for Hank and Al, but that's, yeah, we'll get there. Okay, we'll so Burgess finds Skiles pulling into a factory. So the rest of intelligence meets them there. They catch Skiles and Lambert doing a deal. And of course, Lambert runs. Okay, so Ruzik and Ortiz go after him. Ruzik starts shooting, but doesn't have eyes. Ortiz is like super quiet. He's super quiet. And eventually Ruzik shoots him in the chest. Uh, Ruzik shoots Skiles, right? Not Ortiz? Yeah. Okay. Ortiz is wearing a vest, obviously, at this point. So, um, wait, not Skiles. He shoots Lambert. Okay, Ruzik shoots Lambert. Okay, there we go. So, Burgess opens the bag that Lambert had, and it's just like full of watches, but Skiles won't talk. So, you know, whatever. They bring Skiles in. He denies having ever met Lambert. He doesn't offer up anything more before he asks for his lawyer. That's great. So, Burgess runs into Ruzik in the kitchen after he got off the phone with his FOP rep, and he's like, fuck, like, now I have to go to IRT tomorrow, like, you know, about the Lambert shoot. Well, Adam, like, Adam, you know, that was a good shoot, though, so, like, there's nothing he can do, so, whatever. Back in the bullpen, they find that Lambert had a CTA venture card. I'm guessing that's, like, a CTA just, like, automated, like, square card that you just, like, swipe to get on the train, right? Our public transit here is like nothing. So (laughs) I'm like, okay, what is that? Okay. So CTA sent over footage of him exiting a station and meeting up with two guys a few weeks back. And these guys are Nicholas and James Quinn. Both of them have like super long sheets for armed robbery. Cool. So Berzik and Ortiz go check out this call. They get a call from 911 about two males circling a vintage jewelry store. So they go check it out. So Burgess, Ruzik, Ortiz. 
They roll up. There's gunshots. Ruzik and Ortiz chase after them, but they have to back off because of the new directive. Is this when Ruzik goes to run and Ortiz is like, stop the chase? Yeah. Okay. They hear gunshots again. They're getting into a stolen car. Ruzik chases off after them anyway. And the video shows that they stole four watches, but one of them forgot his gloves. So there'll be prints like all over it. And so Adam is out in the alley. And so Ortiz goes to check on him. You did everything you could to save us. No, I didn't. We had to stop that chase, Ruse. I know there was too many civilians around, Sal. I get that. But Jesus, man. We're kind of damned if we do, damned if we don't out here, aren't we? Because I could have been right on top of them. Instead, they watched me stop the chase, and now some girl's dad is dead. I don't know what the hell we're doing out here half the time. I know. I know you're getting jammed up it's right now. It's not about that. I don't care about that. Well, maybe you should care about that. The more work you do, the more heat you catch. It's not what real police want to accept, but they should. It's the truth. And you should know that by now. So what are you saying to me here? I'm just supposed to be okay with not policing? Sit back? No. No. Well, then what? Look, you got a choice. Okay, what's my choice? I come at you with an uppercut and snap you out of it. But then you're going to lay me out with a big old shot to my solar plexus, and I'm going to be all embarrassed and sore. And Mary, she's, she's not going to like you anymore. Or you keep moving forward. We go catch the bad guys, drink ourselves silly. Buying a cheap bastard? Yeah. Yeah, I'm buying. Man. I did not even make the connection that like all of our listeners made at this point, how like he's beating himself up because now there's like, there's a daughter without a dad. And like, he's in the same situation. I didn't make that connection. It it didn't even, it didn't, it didn't cross my mind. Um, And I think that's part of it. I think that's, you know, like when we talked to Patty, Patty said, you know, like it definitely influences like Adam being a dad now or surrogate dad or whatever we're calling him. Yeah. It definitely influences the way he polices. I don't think that is his whole reason for going on this rant. Mm -hmm. Like, I I just, I don't like, I don't think that's the reason I think, you know, his bigger reason is the fact that like, he feels like he's just trying to be a good police officer and that like he's failing. And like you said, he's damned if you do damned if he doesn't. I think the fact that it was a girl, you know, there's now a girl's dad who's dead is, mm-hmm. you know, maybe part of it, but I don't think that's like the whole reason he goes on this rant. Yeah. This is such a damned if he does damned if he doesn't situation. Cause like stopping the chase. Yeah. It's what CPD wants him to do. But if he had gone on for like five more seconds, he could have caught this guy and kept him from carjacking the dad. Right. And saved a life. Yeah. Yeah. And what Sal says here, like, I can see why Adam is so irked by that. How He's just like, the more work you do, the more heat you catch. Like, this is exactly the issue that Adam has run into with his dad, how his dad is that kind of cop who just punches in and punches out and does like the bare minimum. And Adam's not that kind of cop. Well, and it's so funny, too, because I think, you know, part of it is, like you said, Adam's dad is very much that cop. And Adam, in a lot of ways we've talked about before, is a very much an old school cop. And we've always, you know, a lot of the Adam storylines have been kind of like, there's this new way of policing, but Adam very much is an old school soul and very much falls into that like old wave of policing. I'm trying to figure out the balance of that. Um, 
So I just think it's interesting too. It's kind of more of that same thing of like Adam, you know, as an old school cop, he has his ways of doing things and he's very much struggling to adjust with this new way. Um, But at the same time, like he doesn't want to be an old school cop. Like he doesn't want to be this like, you know, version that Ortiz and his dad are, you know, this slower, you know, this like lazy version of policing. I don't know what Mm -hmm. to call it, but um, yeah, I just think the, comparison and contrast is really interesting here i feel like even in this day and age of like 2021 when things are just fucked up and like dark and dreary all the time like you've really got to admire adam for really trying to stick to that like idealist view of police that he still has like in his mind police are still like the good guys right not to say that they're not but like you know, Adam's got this idealized view of the police in his head and he's still aspiring to be that. And part of that's kind of admirable. I think part of it's kind of frustrating, but the other part of it is a little admirable. Yeah, I think it's just a lot about Adam as a character, right? Like mm-hmm. as, as a person, um, you know, I think he clearly has the best intentions and he really does want to do good in the world. And he really does want to, you know, bring justice. You know, he wants to go about things the right way. Um, and that, like you said, that is really admirable, but I think it's also really ignorant of him at the same time, because That's sometimes fair. he doesn't, you know, see things, you know, he, I think he gets it on some level, right. About like what's going on in the world and the role that police do play and, you know, why people are mad at the police and all that stuff. I think he does get it on some level. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think too, he very much is, you know, kind of ignorant and chooses to ignore some of that sometimes and it's mm-hmm. just like no you know man it's fine like you know like I'm a good police I'm not you know one of those guys I'm not one of those like racist police I'm not one of those people but like okay you're not but like it's just it's more than that and I think he Ruzik sometimes kind of ignorant of that stuff so that's a really that's a really good point too because I think that circles back into the discussion of Adam's privilege which I really feel like the show like I would really like to see the show revisit it yeah what i think i mean they kind of it kind of comes into the play here too right Mm -hmm. like about the fact like what we've just been saying that like adam really believes that like you know if you go about policing the right way it'll you know everything will work out and that you know but he he has that you know he has that privilege because he is white and you know he can believe that and he you know he can live in that idealistic world that he still really wants to hold on to that police are good and that you know like they're gonna get the bad guys and you know that'll be it like the world will be okay Mm -hmm. um so you know i think his privilege does play into that too a little bit yeah absolutely absolutely so take it from here please so back in the bullpen the tech alerts them that no prints came up from at the store and there's been no hit on the watches and so they do end up getting the gps car from the two robbers and it tells them that they made a five minute stop before they ended up ultimately torturing the car so intelligence and ortiz go to work you know work the block where they had originally made the stop to find what they clearly figure out is that the guy's stash house so they find the stash house, they enter and they start ripping it apart, you know, like room by room. And so Bursick goes in the basement and they end up finding the bag that they saw one of the robbers like carry into the house in the video. But of course, when they pull the bag out, there's no watches in there. And so 
nobody can really understand how that happened, like why the watches are all of a sudden missing. But Savoy's just like, you know, keep digging into the quins, like we'll find something, you know, we're we're gonna get these guys. But so Burgess asks Ruzik to meet her at this like random spot. And because she's been, you can kind of tell there's like a few unspoken moments here and there throughout the episode up until this point where you can tell Burgess is kind of skeptical of um, Ortiz. Mm-hmm. And so she shows him footage of Ortiz, like leaving the house, going to his car, grabbing his flashlight and then going back in the house. And Rusik's like, I don't, I, I don't understand what you're seeing. And Burgess is like, no, like he stole the watches. And Ruzik refuses to believe that. She's like, you know, I saw him, Adam, like I saw him go in the basement, which means he lied to Void about like which sections of the house he cleared. She's like, I also ran his credit. Like now that his wife's sick, his insurance isn't covering his wife's treatment. So like now they're bankrupt and the whole thing. And Ruzik is just like really conflicted. And so she ends up asking him though, she's like, are you planning on going to Void with this? And, you know, just like, I don't know. This moment still shows a lot of growth on their part that there's a lot of growth in this episode with regard to Verzik that I actually really enjoy. Cause like in this moment, when they're talking, I feel like in seasons past, Ruzik would lash out. Ruzik would be like, why the hell did you do that? Like, you're just trying to project something that's not there. Like what the hell? And here, I think he really takes into consideration that his source on this is Kim. He's like, if it's coming from Kim, it's gotta be something substantial. So I think it's a lot of growth there because I feel like in past in past seasons, he would have kind of put those walls up and just pushed him away. Yeah, that's a really, it's a really interesting th- point. I hadn't really thought about that, but yeah, I think it does. Um, I think he does show a lot of growth. Um, but anyway, so Rusik gets back to the bullpen and he fills Void in about like where they think the Quins are. Apparently one of them had a girlfriend who's posted bail for him a couple times and she has a house and so they think they're hashed stashing out there and of course Ruzik wants to move in and like go get them and bring them in for questioning and hold them for the 48 you know all that stuff and Void's like listen like we don't really have anything right now like we're just gonna sit on the house and of course Adam's just mad because now they've bumped up his meeting with IRT and you know he's just he's in a mood and of course in this meeting with IRT Ruzik mentions that Ortiz, you know, was locked in the assembly room while he was doing the shoot. And the guy that's like doing the questioning is like, well, that's impossible because the assembly room is shut. So while this meeting is finishing up, like Adam's gears are turning because now he really wonders like, oh shit, is like what Kim said true. So he gets back from his meeting and he mentions to Kim that like RT signed off on everything, like the shoot was clean, but also that like she was simultaneously right. How's he gonna do that? Is that what policing is now? Too much risk to be proactive and save another cop's life? I mean, oh my God. I'm sorry. No. I should be sorry. I'm sorry I didn't listen to you. so poor baby yeah poor adam 
But also we get two, that's, that's twice now where like one of them has apologized and the other person's been like, no, I'm sorry. That's twice in one season. The growth. I, it really is. I know. Yeah. Lots of growth here. So intelligence rolls up to Ortiz's house and apparently he left that morning with his bat with a bag. Like he's been, you know, kind of going crazy, but his wife hasn't seen him since. So they end up tracking him down to like where Ortiz is dumping the watches. And he of course, isn't really willing to turn himself in, but Voight and Rusek actually lie to him to get him to cooperate. And once Ortiz comes out of the house, you know, Rusek ends up arresting him. Like it's pretty much as soon as they walk out and, you know, Rusek confronts him about, you know, he, you know, everything he says, you know, like you were willing to let me die. Like, me like what happens to the next cop like the civilian that you stole role and ortiz just says you know like i couldn't catch another beef like i couldn't he says you know like i am real police and they won't let me do my job and ruse is like no 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 no. like the job just got harder to do yeah that that that's a pretty interesting scene when he's like i'm real police well judging by your actions you're not anymore right yeah so I can see why Adam takes this so close to heart. I mean, besides the fact that every male figure in his life always lets him down, but like, you know, he thought he he thought that he and Ortiz were like one in the same when it came to their types of policing. And it turns out they're not. Right. And especially because he always, you know, like you said, he made that comment about how he's the opposite of Disco Bob. Yeah. And so Ruzik is always definitely, I think, related to Ortiz more than he has Disco Bob. And now he's like, oh, shit, like maybe I, you know, if I if Ortiz turned out this way, then how do I know I'm not going to end up this way? Exactly. Exactly. Which leads us into the very last scene. Yeah. And so we see Ruzik after this whole thing, he gets drunk like real drunk and at the bar where we saw him you know in the beginning of the episode and burgess comes to find him hi hi well i have to warn you i'm pretty drunk over here okay you want to join me you want to catch up mm-hmm. okay yeah an update we got a dna hit on those watches ortiz stole mm-hmm. So, we got enough for a warrant, and the Quinn brothers, they're in custody, so. I think he saw it coming. So, I think he felt it happening. Then I'm like, thinking, you know, I love this job so much, you know, and I'm going to continue to try and do it the right way, no matter how many beasts I get, no matter how much time I spend defending myself. But it's like, like, I know that's how Sal felt too. And I just don't think he saw it coming. Yeah, you're not him, Adam. There's not you. That is not you. And you have me and you have Michaela. Sweetest Burzik scene ever. I think this is one of I I don't I wouldn't I don't know if I necessarily have like a top five. I don't know if I've ever really sat down and thought about it that much for like Burzik scenes, but mm-hmm. I think this may be in there. 
It's 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 so great. And the growth and the fact that like he's super drunk and she just smiles and is like, you're fine. Like, let me talk to you. Let me kind of reason with you and tell you why this is the case. And that that whole like you're not him. That's exactly what Adam needs to hear in that point. Well, and the thing that got me is, you know, at the very end and she's like, you know, like, that's not you, like you said. And then she says, you know, like you have me and Michaela and we won't let you be that. Like, I chills. Yeah, chills. And then, okay. So when the the whole let's go home, okay. Does Adam even have his own place right now? Or like, does he even have his own apartment or like, are they officially living together? I don't know. We need some clarification on where Berzik like officially stands. I mean, obviously we know they are a family. We got that. But like are they together? Like you said, are they living together? Does Michaela call Adam dad? I don't think so. But like, does she call him at like, I just I have so many questions. I need, more I don't think Michaela even calls Kim mom. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think so. Maybe not yet, but I don't know. Did he like give up his place? Like he has to have, he's so whipped in like the best way. Yeah, for sure. And like when they leave and when she like walks out or when, like when they walk out and she's just like hugging into him and I just, oh, oh my God. It's okay, so literally, cute. I can't. I, I tweeted it last night and I meant what I said. Okay. So on Twitter, every now and then you'll see people post pictures of their favorite ships and they'll just be like, oh, height difference. It's so cute. I've never understood that ever until this, this scene. Yeah. Until this scene. And then I was like, oh, oh, that's what it's supposed to feel. I get it now. It's. I, like I said, I don't think I've ever had a top five Bursic scenes before, but this is definitely up there. Like, it's just everything about it is so good. Yeah. It's so good. It's so good. It's so good. It's so good. Um, but of course, you guys also had a lot to say about PD and Bursic. Um, So Haley G said, excluding Michaela, what caused the change in Kim's attitude towards Adam from 810 to 906, night and day? Is 810 when she was like, what did you do? I'd have to go back and figure out exactly like what the num, you know, but probably. I think it's that, I think it's the way he has stepped up since being named the backup. I think seeing that has made a big difference. I'm trying to figure out which one is. Oh no, 810 is Disco Bob. That's the what did you do episode? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yes. Um, but yeah, it's really, you know, I would love to ask Marina that I would love to pick Marina's thoughts about all this. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Especially because Marina this whole time has been like, you know, Ruzik has to, you know, I, you know, I know that they obviously love each other, but like, I don't know if he's ready to commit and yada, yada, yada. And like, we haven't, we haven't at least talked to Marina since the whole, you know, she chose him to be the guardian, (laughs) but even since the beginning of like you know episode one i feel like there's been a shift in the way that they are with each other yeah like this was very felt very different from how they were in like episodes one and two um so not that i'm complaining or anything but still it's almost like burgess got shot and like they became adults like kind of it's kind of like up to their game they went from like you know basic level burzik and then kim got shot and now they're like expert level burzik well, and it's different too because obviously Burgess has been shot before. So the first time, you know, that didn't happen. But now Michaela's in the picture. And I think Michaela just switched, you know. That too. Everything. Yeah. The first time they were still in the puppy love phase. Yeah. 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 
So, so. Um, Allison S said, why can't Adam have a role model that he can continue to look up to right now? The only people he can count on from his perspective is Kim and Boyd. I know his team is there, but who are his go-to people? I actually had Kim. a good conversation with uh, Lizzie last night. Lizzie is from what site does Lizzie write for? I'm blanking. Fangirlish. Fangirlish. There we go. Um, yeah. So uh, we had a little chat via DM like the other night while this was going on. And it's really, when you think about it, it's really sad to think that like in Adam's eyes, the only male figure who has never let him down is Hank. And it's yeah. a, it's a little like sad and scary. And it, it's, it's scary because when you look at Hank's relationship with anybody, really, it's just straight up toxic. Mm-hmm. It's just the truth. I've done like, I've, I've completely turned on white, like this past couple episodes. I'm like, F this guy, like, forget him, whatever. But it's sad that like, that's the only, that's the only male relationship that is like, never let him down. Um, not to say that Al ever did. Al never did. But like, you know, obviously Al's not here. So, you know. Right. But yeah, it's, just, and, and I don't think Adam realizes that that relationship is toxic. Adam just thinks that what Hank does is okay. Yeah, that's, that's what's, and that's why I know that Patty told us that he thinks that he's still going to go, that Rizik would still kind of side with on the Voight side of things. Um you know, in the whole Roy situation, but like, I, I don't know. I have a hard time believing that. I still, I don't think that Adam has it in him where it's like, if the purpose sitting in front of you and you've got the gun and the power to like wipe him off the earth, I don't think Adam has it in him. That's interesting. Um, I don't know if I've thought about that, but like I said, I just, I feel like, I don't know. I just have a hard time believing that after what he you know, Voight's manipulation of Haley. I just, I have a hard time believing that Adam isn't going to be mad at both of them. I mean, both of them really, but Voight especially for the fact that they kept it from Kim all this time. Maybe, I don't know what, the, the answer Patty gave us made a lot of sense though, how he was like, he's he's going to be mad that they didn't tell Kim, but he's also going to understand that like Voight did it to save Kim. But like also, I I it just, had I'll nothing be curious. to do with that. I, yeah, I was gonna say. I think I'll be. I'll still be curious to see like where they go. You know, like Ruzik's opinion and all of this. Yeah. But uh, Allison G said, "I loved all the Bursic scenes, but otherwise was disappointed with PD. The cases have been so in point that this one seemed weak and predictable in comparison. Did Adam really need another cop he's looked up to his whole life to disappoint him and put him in danger? The storyline seemed to set up." to push him closer to Voight, even though Voight is the opposite of the kind of cop that Adam tells Cammy wants to be. I'm guessing it's part of the conflict they're setting up within the unit and Ruzik likely siding with Voight, but it felt like piling on things the show has already done to Ruzik in the past. I'm very excited about the preview for next week, though. They really left us hanging on what is happening with Haley, Jay, and Voight and about the time they got back to that. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting perspective. I, like I said, I'm curious to see how you know the tension within the unit and where everyone kind of falls and i i think it's gonna be good shit i'm like nervous i'm really i'm nervous for like the chicago pd civil war yeah um i think it was kim that said it in the group chat that she was like yeah next week is basically just gonna be like intelligent civil war and i i know like last season sometime last season or two seasons ago somebody had actually taken like the 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 movie the captain america civil war poster yeah, and like photoshopped and, like, the intelligence heads on them genius genius 
Um, if you see that floating around the internet, can somebody please send it to us? Cause like, please, I would love to have it back. Yeah. Oh my God. Just hilarious. Hilarious. Chef's kiss. So I love this next one we got. This is from a listener named Steve. And okay. So Steve goes, I'm a grown ass man. And I was screaming at the TV and this is in all caps. Ready? You propose again to her right now, Adam, you put a ring on it right this second at that moment. One of the best Berzik, if not the best Berzik moments ever, ever. <laughs> I love it. It's so good. So good. Um, M- Megan R said, you know, Adam loves his girls when he ditches his social club activities for them. Berzik is so married. Love their moments in this episode. They really are so married. Yeah, they really are. And you like, know what I love Adam got me? Loves- you know what moment got what? me was when they were, uh, at, they were in like the, the basement of somewhere and there was like some ceiling thing in the way and Burgess just showed up was like hey Ruzik can you just like get this for me I was like they're married she's just like you're taller than me can you grab this married yeah um and then Megan R said also said give Patty all the give Patty all the damn awards give everyone on this show all the damn awards basically yeah love it uh next up oh god is it Myra or Mayra I can never remember I think it's Myra. Myra. I'm so sorry, Myra, if I said it wrong. I'm so sorry. Uh, so Myra said, I think for once, Adam is really starting to see that these men he's looked up to his entire life and wants to emulate have turned out to be failures. But also, can we stop breaking Adam's heart with these male figures in his life? But actually, though. But actually. But actually, though. Um, and Kimberly J said, this case was the case was the case, but again, we see someone Adam looks up to letting him down, and that's heartbreaking to me. But can we just skip right to the end with Adam and Kim at the bar? That was the perfect scene. I'm not even annoyed that they're not officially together anymore because this whole family dynamic really works. They'll figure it out eventually. And again, with the promo for next week, this Jay Voight thing seems far from over, and at this point, I need to see some consequences and resolution and not things being swept under the rug like PD generally does. Yeah, so I guess we do have to, like, touch on the promo. Um let me just kind of tell you guys how like frayed everybody's nerves are, right? So the promo airs and Voight's like, you can't be in the unit if you don't trust me. And Jay goes, well, kick me out of it. Like clockwork. I get a text from a friend and she goes, Jay's not leaving, is he? I like, I, I, I of course was like, no, no, like, no, I don't know anything, but no, like, I don't think so. But also, like, this is where we're at right now, Shy Hearts. It's like, we got burned so bad last week that we're, like, expecting the worst around every corner. Like, every time a character does anything, we're like, oh, God. Oh, God. What was that? So. I know. I'm always just going to be, like, I think skeptical from here on out of, skeptical. like, everything. Yeah. So I, I think that these kind of moments and these kind of scenes are going to, like, shake us a little bit more than they did before. For sure um god i hope i hope not i can't i can't do this i can't play this game every week of like oh god they're not leaving are they stop stop no we just read the episode eight description gina and it talks about the fact that Floyd upton and halstead feel the heat you know what my fear is with this though my fear is that jay's gonna take the fall for Haley. dear god i hope not i will like there's no fall for Haley to take it's void's fall to take I, I know, but but here's the thing. If Jay does it, I, I will actually throw shit if Jay does it. Throw shit. I can't. I can't. And we wouldn't even be talking about this had Casey not happened last week. No, I don't think so either. It's not happening, though. It's not happening. It's not. 
It's not just we're not going to talk about it again. We're not no. talking about it again. So no. this was our one time. We're not talking. We're not. Nope. Nope. Done. And scene. <laughs> yeah. Any other notes on PD? No, it was a good episode, though. It was a good episode. It was just a straight up good episode. Yeah. Yeah. Patty is just such an amazing actor. Like, I'm yeah. always, I'm always impressed by the way that he just like throws himself into Adam. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know anything about like the acting process or anything like that, but like, you just get the feel when you watch him that like he just like takes 110% of himself and just throws it into Adam's like body and personality and just becomes him. Well, and it's one of those things too that I think probably after playing him for nine years, like it's really hard. Not that I know Patty know anything, but like from what I feel like we know about, it's like, where does Patty start and where does Ruzik stop? Like, you know, it's like they've mm-hmm. become, you know, you put so much of yourself in your characters that especially after playing them for nine years, that it's just like, they've kind of become one in some ways. And, you know. And you can tell in like, in every single scene with Ruzik, no matter what episode it is, you can always tell it it's coming from his heart. Always. Oh, a hundred. Yes. 100%. Yeah. percent. Everything that he says as Adam is always coming from his heart. And it's just, it's just so fantastic to watch. Like it's fun to watch Patty. Yeah, it really is. Oh, but also we didn't even mention. Okay. So the aviator, like new jacket combo. Oh my God. Woo. It, well, and it works like Patty's hair. We That's don't talk perfect. about it enough, but it's so. It's it just, was perfection. Yeah. This episode. Like these last couple of se- seasons, Patty has just looked so unbelievably good. And it's just like the glow up from season one to nine is unreal. I say it's it unreal. all the time, but it is it is so unfair that men get better with age and women don't. Yeah. It is so unfair. Because like Patty now versus Patty in season one, you're just like, oh, look at that That's little what I'm baby. Saying. The glow up. Yeah. The yeah. glow up is real. But actually, though, but yeah, that that jacket, like, ooh, ooh, shout out to the costume department for that new jacket plus the aviators. Oh, mwah. chef's kiss, chef's kiss, chef's kiss. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, I mean, Kim definitely like picks out the clothes for him when he's shopping, right? I don't. That's She's great. like, this I've will never look good on you. It. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure if she, like, I don't know if she does it all the time, but I'm sure if she came home with, like, hey, I saw this and thought of you, he would wear it. With yeah. it. it could be, like, the ugliest thing ever, and he would still wear it because he is whipped. <laughs> in, like, the best way. <laughs> yeah, in the in best, the best way. way, but he is whipped. Yeah, so this was a good episode, so... All right, so that's about all from us tonight. As always, you guys know where to find us. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and meet us at Molly's right across the board. Um, you heard before when we were talking about Patreon, if you want to support the pod for as little as $2 a month, please check out the link in our socials. It's so much fun. We're really just loving this community that has just been building and building. We have a wonderful, wonderful group of like friends and family now. That's what this fandom mm-hmm. is. It's just a big old family. So yep. uh, yeah, check that out. T public store got lots of cool designs there. They're going to have a bunch of sales coming up with the holidays, like right around the corner, which like, when the hell did that happen? By the way, this year has gone so fast. In November, next time we record, it's going to be November. It's crazy. Like my birthday is like a month away. What the, what the hell? When did that happen? I know. I know. It is like a month away. What? Like, I know. What? Uh, yeah. So follow us individually on Twitter. I am at Gina watches TV, Brenna. 
I am at K 13 Email us anytime about anything. Seriously, anytime about anything. Meet us at mollies at gmail.com. Our inboxes are wide open. Safe space, whatever you want to talk about, we will talk about. Um, normal schedule going forward. As long as there are new episodes, there will be new episodes of the pod. Mm-hmm. Straight up. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, and I mean, that's like, I feel like we had other stuff to talk about, but like we really don't. No, that's about it. Good. All right. So in the meantime, everybody have a good weekend. You know, um, cozy up. Like maybe go trick-or-treating. Yeah, it's Halloween. Go trick-or-treating. Send us your Halloween pictures, please. Please. Especially if you dress up as anyone from one Chicago, we definitely want to see them. Please. Like, yes. Any and all Halloween pictures are welcome. Please send them our way. Um, and in the meantime, yeah, everybody have a good weekend. And we will see you next week. Bye.